אני אתרגם חלק ממה שאתה אומר, תלוי אם אתה מפרגן או לא מפרגן. אם אתה מפרגן, אני לא מתרגם את כל הרבה שאתה עושה. אבל אם אתה אומר דברי תורה, אני אתרגם. טוב, אני בדיוק למדתי פה איזה הלכה. פשוט הרב, הרב אפרים, אז אני אגיב לסדר לו להלכה, before we start our rest of our שיעור. כן. אני אגיב לסדר לו להלכה. בדיוק עכשיו סיימתי פרק כ"ט ברמב״ם, בהלכות שבת. הלכות שבת, בצ'אפטר 29. הרמב״ם כותב, ולמה מברכים על בשמים במוצאי שבת? Why do we make a blessing on בשמים על מוצאי שבת? מפני שהנפש דואבת ליציאת שבת, משמחים אותה ומיישבים אותה בריח טוב. הנפש כואבת. Because the, uh, the nefesh, the soul is uh, in essence in pain, it's suffering because of uh, Shabbat's end. And therefore we pacify it, you know, and make it feel good by giving it uh, something that... עכשיו אנחנו נמצאים במצב שכל עם ישראל הנפש שלהם דואבת. יש כאלה שכואבים את הפצועים, יש את ההרוגים, יש את השבויים. כל אחד עם הכאב שלו, יש כאלה שכואבים את הכאב הכללי שלהם. So we are in a time where all of עם ישראל is suffering right now. Some type of pain, whether it's emotional pain over the people that were murdered, or the people that are, uh, you know, are hostages, or people that are in the middle of a war right now, all of the suffering, the anxiety that everyone has, everyone is in some form of pain. And even if somebody, you know, takes the entire uh, tree and smells it, it's not going to help him, uh, you know, take away that pain. Because the pain is continuing. It's not a pain like a day כל יום אתה שומע שבאמת מה שאמרו פעם, ההרוגים הרבה יותר, הפצועים הרבה יותר, השבויים הרבה יותר, שדרך אגב הרב אמר את זה על ההתחלה, לא יודע איך הוא ידע, אבל שזה לא המספרים שאמרו בהתחלה. Yeah. There's more people that have been our hostages than they told us initially. There's more people that died than they told us initially. There's more people that are injured than they told us initially. And we said it uh, right away from the uh, beginning of this whole thing that the numbers that they're reporting are actually not true. And uh, they're uh, far from true. <laughs> you can open the uh, thing if you want. והצרות של עם ישראל, רק אתה חושב, או oh, זהו, הגענו עד לזמן מסוים, אז אתה אומר, לא, זה משהו חדש, זה משהו חדש. איך מרפאים את הנפש? הגמרא אומרת במסכת עירובין, בדף נ"ד, אחש בראשו יעסוק בתורה, אחש במאיו יעסוק בתורה, אחש בידיו יעסוק בתורה. רשימה שלמה. שזה גמרא, מסכת עירובין, פייג' 54, says that uh, anyone has certain pains in, in his head, go learn Torah. Anyone has pain somewhere else, go learn Torah. Anyone has pain somewhere else, it keeps giving you different pains that people endure in their life, and the solution is constantly the same thing, go learn Torah. ואחרי שהגמרא מונה את האיברים, אומרת הגמרא משפט, אחש בכל גופו יעסוק בתורה. 
And then after it goes through all the uh, body ailments and tells you constantly to go learn Torah, it says, and if someone's entire body hurts, go learn Torah also. אז אם ככה, תגיד, על ההתחלה, חש בכל גופו, ואז אדם יודע, אם זה עוזר לכל הגוף, ודאי שזה עוזר לראש, לעיניים, לידיים, לרגליים. לא, הגמרא מביאה פסוק לכל אחד, ובסוף, החש בהכול. So the question is, what's the whole point of going through every single body part that uh, it hurts, this one hurts, that one hurts, and you know, the solution is constantly, go learn Torah. If you're going to tell me at the end, if the whole body hurts, go learn Torah. Just tell me the whole thing from the beginning. You know, if your anything hurts, go learn Torah. That's the solution. That's the uh, cure for the ailment. אחד ההסברים בזה, כשהנפש כואבת, כל הגוף כואב. הנפש של האדם, כשאדם פתאום שומע איזו שמועה רעה, יש כתוב בנביא, מדוע ראיתי כל גבר ידיו על חלציו, כאילו עובר חבלי הריון. למה? על שמועה רעה כי באה. כשפתאום בן אדם שומע שמועות רעות, שמועות מבהילות, כל הגוף שלו כואב. So the, uh, one of the sages explains that uh, when the soul hurts, the whole body hurts. That's in essence what's the, when it says the whole, when the body hurts, then uh, go learn Torah. In essence, it's, it's trying to imply if your soul hurts, if you have emotional pain, go learn Torah. <coughs> he says because when the, uh, when the soul hurts, when, the, uh, when you have something of emotional pain, it's uh, something that most people don't know how to, how to deal with. One of the uh, prophets says that uh, why is it that when I see a person it's like he's uh, carrying a, a baby and uh, enduring uh, you know, labor uh, pain. And uh, they, they explain it's because there's emotional pain there because of all uh, of what was happening at the time. ולכן הגמרא אחרי שאמרה אם יש לך איבר כואב גשמי יש פתרון אבל אפילו אם כל הגוף כואב שזה נדיר שאדם שכל הגוף יכאב לו אפילו אחד שהגיע לרופא אמר פעם כל מקום שאני נוגע כואב לי אמר לו הרופא האצבע שלך שבורה <laughs> זה אין סיכוי שכל הגוף כואב <laughs> אבל <laughs> מה כן? הנפש Uh, even uh, as a joke, as a side joke, uh, he says, even somebody came to the doctor and said, listen, my, uh, my whole body hurts. Everywhere that I touch, it hurts. And the doctor says, yeah, it's because your finger is broken. So everything hurts. <laughs> so which means, all of it means is that when, the, uh, when the, uh, uh, your uh, nefesh, your neshama is, uh, is, uh, is hurting, the best cure is, uh, is the learning Torah. ולכן כשאדם בא לבוא ולשמוע שיעור תורה אמיתי, לא בשביל לבוא ולראות איזה מופע של סטנדאפ וצחוקים וקצת בדיחות ואוכל מכאן עד הודעה חדשה וכל מיני מוזיקה ותופים, אלא נטו 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 בשביל התורה. זה התרופה הכי גדולה לנפש. But a real shiur Torah, not something that's more of like a stand-up comedian or, or a show where there is uh, food and snacks and everything is uh, so much built up around the show itself, not really much Torah there. But somebody that's coming to, uh, to learn Torah, that's the best cure for any uh, emotional ailment, any uh, type of spiritual ailment. And the Rambam calls in the... Uh, in the um, In the Rambam, in the uh, Yad HaChazaka, he calls the, uh, the Torah scholars the, uh, the doctors of the soul. And 
מה לא כואב? לא ברור שלא לא כואב, אבל לי כואב? מה הוא אומר לי לא כואב? So he says the problem is with doctors is that sometimes that the uh, the cure is painful. It's painful. He says I remember any time I uh, I went to the uh, dentist and uh, he would tell me no this doesn't hurt this doesn't hurt and I'd say to myself he's a liar it does hurt him maybe it doesn't hurt but it hurts me. ובאותו דבר ברופא הנפשות כשבן אדם מגיע לשיעור מתלמיד חכם והוא שומע דברי אלוקים חיים לפעמים זה כואב רק מה ההבדל בין רופא גשמי לרופא רוחני? רופא גשמי באמת לרופא לא כואב. רופא רוחני הוא צועק מכאב. But when somebody is a doctor of a Tomit Chacham, that's a uh, doctor of the soul, when, uh, when he's giving you a, a painful shiul, you should know that it's also painful for him. Why? Because he's, uh, he's yelling out of pain, out of his own agony. That's why he's telling you what he's telling you. ולכן, ברוך השם שזכיתם לבוא לשמוע שיעור מאחד מרופאי הנפשות הטובים בדור, שהוא, זה גם תתרגם, שהוא, כשהוא בא ואומר, כשהוא אומר את התוכחות ואת הדברי אלוקים חיים, זה כמו רופא שבעצם צריך, אין מה לעשות, לפתוח פצע, לנקות, זה יכאב בטיפול, אבל אחרי זה, תהיה בריא. ברוך השם, that uh, we've merited to, uh, to come learn to write together uh, with, he says, I'm the, uh, one of the best uh, uh, spiritual doctors of the uh, generation, but yes, when, uh, when, the, uh, when a doctor is going to tell you the, uh, you know, the things, they're going to hurt. Some of the things that uh, Shiur Torah is going to have is going to be painful. But the good news is that after, when you listen to what the Torah says, it's, uh, you're going to feel much healthier. ולכן לפעמים אפילו שבן אדם לא מבין את הטיפול, לא מבין למה זה ככה, אבל בסוף הטיפול הוא רואה, וואו, איזו תוצאה טובה. הרופא הזה כבר ריפא אלפי אנשים, הרופא הזה כבר עזר לכל כך הרבה אנשים, גם אני רוצה כזה טיפול. So even if somebody comes to a, uh, this, this type of doctor that actually uh, has a track record of, uh, of curing thousands of people and he doesn't really understand what he's doing and why it's so painful but when he sees, listen, look at how many people are healthy right now I want to be healthy like them and he ends up going through it and also becomes healthy So in this case, I don't understand the treatment of the doctor So he says, so technically, he said, I, sh- I should also stay for, uh, for, for the, uh, the cure we're going to all hear tonight from, you know, from my shiur, even though I don't speak a, sing- a single word of English, because technically I didn't understand what the other physical doctor, the dentist, was doing either. And he says, and Bezat Hashem, he's going to go learn, Bezat Hashem, something, uh, continue all of the Torah learning that he's doing, but all of us are going to learn over here, and Bezat Hashem, all of us will merit to understand and accept everything into our hearts from the uh, Torah, and Bezat Hashem, all of us continue to grow in the Torah, Bezat Hashem. Amen, amen. Oh Hashem to the Rav, each time we have the merit to see him, it's exciting. And then, you know, since I've been here in, in Israel, for me it's a uh, double, uh, 
double joy. I get to see him when we pray. I get to see him when we learn. So, you know, usually I get to see him on the screen all the time. So it's a uh, special, uh, special reward. So he obviously told us a lot of what we need to know. And Be'ezrat Hashem HaKadosh Baruch will give us the words to build on top of that, to really uh, take things into perspective. Because right now, as the Rav said, there's an extraordinary amount of emotional sickness in the air. People are addicted to television screens, they're addicted to the internet, everyone has become a war pundit, everyone has opinions of what the war should be like, and how the Third World War is coming, and how this one is going to attack next, and that one is going to attack next, and this one has the best planes, and that one has a good army, and that one has a submarine, and everyone has become an expert. All of a sudden, yesterday he was selling hot dogs. Today he's a, he's a war, you know, he has a whole station on YouTube with a million subscribers talking about his expertise in war. The only war he knows is video games. But in reality, the subscribers believe what he says. Now look, this is the end, the army, and it is, and it that. And the problem is, people listen to this. Now the question is, is this good for you? Because I know a few people that Baruch Hashem are so addicted to the, uh, the screen right now that they themselves have become reporters of the reporters. They report to their friends. Listen, I listened to this one on the station. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Why does he sound like that? Because he doesn't, you know, perhaps he speaks English as well. That's why he sounds good. He said, well, this guy's really, really smart. How do you know? I don't know. He has some type of certificate on the background. How do you know it's not AI or, or something else? It's, you know, anyway, everybody sounds good now. Everybody sounds like it's the end, of, you know. Question is, is this all good for you? The results are people are nervous. People are very, very nervous. Everyone is scared to death. Certainly, there are reasons to be scared, but are we scared for the right reasons? If you're not scared, there's something wrong with you. The question is, are you scared of the right thing? <coughs> because Shlomo Amelech says, Ashre Adam tamid. Praiseworthy is the person that's always scared. So technically, if you just started getting scared over the last month, you're already late. You're already late. Now that you're scared finally, what are you scared of? Some Hamasni coming? Well, you saw all the videos, like the rest of the world, myself included, some, uh, you know, murders and rapes and all the horrible things they did to us, our brothers and our sisters and our children. So now you're scared? You know they did it before also, right? This is not the first time. And I'm not even talking about just like this year. They've been doing it every so often for centuries. That's the whole religion. It's the religion of death. Since day one, Muhammad has been murdering people on a regular basis. Anyone that learns any, anything a little bit about their, their, their filthy religion of death, knows that's their religion. It's not a new thing. There's nothing new about it. They've been murdering, raping, and killing on a regular basis. This was not news to anyone familiar with that religion. Anyone familiar with those people. Of course, everyone thought, we have an army, we have a this, we have a that, never again. How many times have you heard never again? Never again, never again, until it happened again. Now what are they going to do? Never again, again? Never again, this time. The whole thing became a joke. Why is it a joke? Because if you're saying never again because of your army, if you're saying never again because of your government, 
if you're saying never again because you got a lot of money for saying never again, all of it is kfira, all of it is heresy. All of it is heresy. Why? Because Torah says otherwise. Torah says, never again so long as you follow my Torah. If you go with my laws. But if you don't, says, but if you treat my laws like it's a happenstance, like once, you know, it's not really serious, I will go with you double. Worse than what you go with me. Meaning, the punishment is double for treating his Torah like a joke. So Hashem says again and again, multiple times in the Torah. So the thing is, though, is that now that people are watching the news, on one end, the neshamot are opened up a little bit more, or a lot more in some cases, to hearing truth, to hearing answers because they were not able to find the answers anywhere else. Their uh, ideology that they've had their whole life has gone into the garbage. Their lefty liberal ideology doesn't, it's not worth five cents. The uh, faith in the government or, or any type of protection is not worth even a penny. There are many people around the world that hate us a lot more than the people that hate us even here. And the reality is anyone that thinks that the war is only here is delusional. Because just anyone that even spent five minutes watching the news sees that there is literally millions and millions and millions, tens of millions of people they hate Israel more than Hamas. And they don't even know us. In fact, they don't even know them. The call, you are, you know, you're, 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 you're torturing these people. They're such poor people. They're such victims. Victims? Okay, let me see. Hold on a second. So, would you agree that uh, if your uh, son is a homosexual, that they'll chop yourself off in the middle of the street? Oh, no? Okay, well, they do. Uh, would you agree that if your wife is not modest... They'll stone her in the middle of the street. Oh no, or they do. Uh, would you agree that if you don't uh, follow all of the rules, they're going to kill you in front of everyone? No. Well, apparently, they're not as nice as you thought. So why are you protecting them? But that's the thing. Alma de Shikha, world of lies. The world of lies. But the world of lies is not going to stop people from living a lie. Even if people know it's a lie, they still live a lie. So now that you know the world is a lie, that means that everything is a lie, including what you see on the screen. You saw the tanks shooting, the bombs coming down, everyone is telling you the world is going to end, World War Three. China's coming, Russia's coming, everybody's coming, everyone's fighting over this little piece of land. Is that healthy for your neshama? Because if you look around, everyone has a tisha b'av face. Everyone walks around, like everybody's like scared, they're not really sure, except if you go to Bnei Torah. If you go to Bnei Torah, the happiest people in the world. Like there's no war. You go to people that just finished, you go to the event we just had, Baruch Hashem. You go to the event, you saw the people on stage. It's as if there's no war in the world. Everyone's happy, everyone's smiling. And it's not just for that event, it's before the event, after the event, during the end of all time. Why? Because there's a difference between someone that's trying to cure his pain with the prescription of the Torah, which is the Torah, and someone that's trying to cure their pain with uh, more information. Oh, if I watch this next YouTube video of this next expert in war that used to really sell toys last week, but now he's an expert in war, 
and the guy that's a journalist of what cooking shows and he's now an expert in war also and this guy happens to speak two languages so they made him an expert in war also all of these experts in war i'm going to talk to them and, and i'm going to listen to them and they're going to give me the information that's going to calm me down 15 minutes later of complete waste of life a bunch of pictures that you saw everywhere else also and what happens you're even more nervous but you don't even know why you know are he lying to me is he really an expert you're questioning okay i have to watch another show just to see if he says the same thing as this guy maybe the guy that was an expert in toys is the same is better than the guy that was an expert in cooking and this rabotaya kareem is literally people drinking cancer on a regular basis and now you have the questions coming in rabbi should i buy a gun what do you think about me buying a gun so listen america is not like uh it's not like a uh i mean i'm sorry israel is not like uh, america israel is not like america forget three forget zero even if they allowed everybody with a gun america uh, israel is not like america you know why i'll explain to you here when i come to shul and i see one of these guys has giant gun i'm like oh, big for you man no no you have a gun you're a soldier somebody comes i'm gonna see some action it's cool in america if you see somebody has even a tiny little handgun it's criminal there's gonna be a shooting here guys get out of here. he's a terrorist because that's how it is in america anyone that has a gun in public is usually going to do kill somebody shoot somebody shoot up the, the the ups shoot up the post office that's what happens every single week in america there is a school shooting a public shooting somewhere every single week on the average this is not a uh, i'm not exaggerating go look it up there's so many they stop reporting them unless it passes a certain death roll a certain death toll if they kill i think more than like eight or ten people then they report it on the news but if he kills like three four that's eh, not worth it's not newsworthy just a few days ago there was a couple of them so here in israel somebody walks around with a gun it's not really a big deal not really a big deal walks around with a gun. he has a gun it's a big gun small gun me if i had a gun i'd, be, I'd go around with a bazooka if i'm already gonna have one why as well have a cool one now am i really ever gonna use it no just like most people are not going to use it but you feel better because you have a gun enjoy have a gun because when the terrorist comes unless you're a trained soldier you're not going to know how to how to press the buttons if a terrorist ever comes you're not going to know oh, wait hold, how do you do hold on a second hold on with the axe hold on hold on it's a safety where's a safety safety what are you going to know about guns you think you're going to be able to a moment of truth you know, you think you know how to shoot a gun? Happy time, the guy's coming with an axe. The guy's a Hamas terrorist. He's been bred people's uh, brains for, for, for daily just because he had to train them how to kill people. I have, a, I have a student. Hashem blessed them. They escaped Hamas. Hamas. They grew up in a Hamas household. Father, Hamas. Mother, Hamas. Siblings, Hamas. Today they're Kodesh Kodeshim. This build an extraordinary family. When I asked them, what was it like growing up as, you know, in a Hamas household? You know, a Jewish household, usually, you know, the, the exciting story that you get, you know, it's like, I don't know, you know there was a fist fight in the, uh, you know, in the, in the uh, schoolyard today. Shmuley bumped off the, the keeper off of uh, Moshe. 
That's the exciting story. If you're in a secular house, oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Joe got a new PlayStation. That's it. That's that's the story in a Jewish household. What's the stories in a Hamas household? Oh, when you're five years old, you get to watch movies of chopping heads off. Five years old, you get to watch movies of how they chop heads off people. And it's not fake movies, not Hollywood, real people. Which ones are these people? Same type of people that are protesting pro-Hamas right now, pro-Palestine, those types of people. So the same people that are supporting Hamas, supporting Palestine, if they actually showed up in Hamas tomorrow, they showed up to Palestine tomorrow, there would be a whole lot of heads on the floor. Yeah, but I was pro-Hamas. Good, good, good. That's what they know. So now back to a question. Walking around with a gun. Is that going to help you in life? No. Now, if it's going to make you feel safer, makes you happy, good. Somebody the other day says, Rabbi, can I take a picture? I said, good. Makes you happy? I'll take a picture. Why not? Anything can make you happy? Sure. Now, the moment of truth, is it going to help you? No. It's not going to help you. Why is it not going to help you? Because you have to know. Anyone that can help you or hurt you has to go through a system called Akadosh Baruch Hu. Akadosh Baruch Hu has to review. This Hamas terrorist, this bank robber, this thief, this criminal, this bad person wants to hurt Mr. Smith, Mr. Yankovic, Mr. Reuven. Wants to hurt him. Let's see. He wants to hurt. He's terrorist. Spiritual terrorist. Real terrorist. of uh, Whatever. He's a terrorist. He wants to hurt. That's what he wants to do. So now Kadosh Baruch looks, the Bedin of Shemaim, and this is the Gemara Maseret Chulim, page 7, says we have to review everything of what Mr. Reuven deserves, everything that he doesn't deserve, everything around him, all the people that are going to be affected by it also. Meaning it doesn't matter that Mr. Hamas wants to hurt you. It doesn't matter that Mr. Whoever wants to hurt you. Kadosh Baruch has to decide whether he's going to allow him to hurt you or not. So whether you have a gun or you don't have a gun, it's not going to really protect you. You know what's going to protect you? If you have Torah or not. If you put yourself in a situation where there's less reasons for HaKadosh Baruch to permit hurting you. Now, of course, there's Din Shamayim. There's HaKadosh Baruch has all types of accounting. And sometimes there's very religious and holy people that get killed throughout history. So it's not to say it's just because you're religious, you're never going to hurt. going to get hurt. But the point is to, to understand is that the gun, the yes or the no gun, is the least of your concern. You can have it if it makes you happy, if you think it's going to give you protection. But if you really think that's what's going to protect you, you have a mistake. You have a mistake. Now, can you say it's your status? Can you say? It's your status. It's your status. Sure. But like I said, if it makes the person, if it makes the person uh, calmer uh, to a certain extent, but he doesn't actually think this is really the whole thing that's going to protect him, sure, by all means. There's no sin of carrying a gun. I actually think it's pretty cool there's a bunch of guys walking around with guns. But if they think that that's really what's going to protect them, like if people think that the IDF is really what's going to win this war, that's a mistake. So Hashem, he makes the count even after he gives the sword to the, to the Katan. Okay. Even after he gives the sword to the criminal. Even after he gives him the atomic bomb. Even after he gives him whatever he gives him. Only he decides if it's going to work or not. Only he decides, Le'avdi, Let's say there's a couple, and unfortunately, I know some couples that they have trouble. They have trouble having kids. They have trouble having kids. There's not many things worse than that, as far as suffering. Because you want to have kids, and you can't have kids. 
So they ask me, is it worth it to, to, to even try anymore? Is it this or that? Like, listen, you have to understand. The effort is the only thing you're responsible for. The effort is what you're responsible for. You are fulfilling a mitzvah by trying to bring kids to the world. There's multiple mitzvot. There's the mitzvah of trying to bring kids to the world. And there's the mitzvah of onah, being a man and his wife. As far as the results, that's always been in the hand of Hashem. Now, whether the results bring an actual real-life baby that's going to cry and drive you crazy for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, or it's going to bring a holy neshama, that the tem- you know, that's, we'll see. But we see that Avraham Avinu didn't give up on Sarah just because 90 years, no luck. He continued. And then the Zohar Kadosh says, Baruch Hashem, that he continued because the uh, neshamot of all the converts that are in the world today come from Avraham Avinu. And that's what we talked about last week's shoe. So the effort is what we have to do. Our effort. So like he said, for example, the ishtadlut. You have ishtadlut. You have the effort. You carrying a gun, that's your effort. Fine. There's no problem with the effort. But don't think for a moment that the effort assures success. Because effort does not assure success. There are plenty of people that try very, very hard and fail. Plenty of people work in different fields and fail. And there's some people that don't work very hard and succeed. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides. HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides who's going to succeed and who's going to fail. The effort is done by both. So now there was one time a guy who was a Gabai. Gabai of the Knesset. I told this story a little while ago. It's such a good story. I'll tell you again. It was a Gabai of the Knesset. 20 years. Misken, the guy didn't know how to read or write. Just like Muhammad. Muhammad didn't know how to read or write. No, be mad. You didn't know right. That's why they wrote the Quran 200 years after he died. Because if they wrote it while he was alive, he wouldn't know how to read it to them. They'd tell him, oh, okay, listen, uh, Muhammad, read it to us. This is your Quran. Read it to us. He doesn't know nothing. He doesn't know how to read. But it's your book. He doesn't know how to read. So this poor guy, Lavdi, the Jew, he didn't know how to read the poor guy. So now, 20 years pass. The Beknesset got bigger than like what we have here. He has a little tiny little Beknesset, but Hashem soon have a bigger Beknesset, but Hashem have several locations. But for now, it's small. This Beknesset, after 20 years, got big. And now, big Beknesset, big money. They want, uh, you know, computer systems, sophisticated. And they tell the guy, listen, we're sorry, we're going to have to let you go. Why? I'm here for 20 years. What else am I going to do? We're sorry, we need somebody that knows how to handle the new computer system we have, the new phone system we have, new employees we have. You're just not, not fit for the job. Okay, but said that we scanned the guy, has no job, 20 years, and he doesn't have, so what does he do? He goes to the shuk. He goes to the shuk, looks for something, looks for something, what could I do, what could I do? Then he sees some guy selling tools. Tools. So you know what, I know about tools. He fixed the Beknesset a few times, the bathroom, the this, the that. He fixed a few things. Oh, I know tools. He goes, you know what, that's a good price for that tool. He buys a few tools. He walks around with the tools. And he sees somebody trying to fix something. He goes, no, no, you're not using the right tool. He goes, how do you know? He goes, I fix. I can show you. Look, I have this tool. Oh, how much? He tells him a price. He goes, okay, I'll buy it. In a few minutes, he doubles his money. He goes back to the guy. buys more tools. And he finds somebody else to buy it. And he makes doubles his money again. Within a short period of time, the guy makes millions. After a few years, he got to a point where he's able to order a major order of over $10 million from China. 
worth of tools. Built a company. Now the China came with the order, big money, big tools, tons and tons of, uh, of, 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 of uh, goods. When they show up with the stuff at the, uh, at the place, it's okay, sir, uh, you need to sign here. Sign your name over here. So the guy says, no, no, my sign. I'm here. It's fine, fine. No need to sign. But no, no, what no need to sign? Need to sign it. You got the inf- you got the tools. Ten million dollars. He goes, fine. No, you have uh, you have ink. He goes, what ink? Give, he gives the guy a pen. He goes, no, no pen, no pen. Give me ink. So he doesn't know what he's talking about. He gets to his drawer. He takes like one of these things, you know, these stamps. There's inks on them. He takes his finger, puts the finger on it, and he puts his finger. He, he signs with his finger. The guy from China says, "Are you making a joke? What am I gonna do with this finger?" He goes, "That's my signature." What is the signature? Sign your name. I don't know how to write your name. Because maybe you don't know how to write your name. Because I don't know how to write. The Chinaman says to him, look at that. You don't even know how to write your name. And you're ordering $10 million worth of stuff. Imagine how much money you would make if you know how to write. He says, you chamor. If I knew how to write, I'd still be a gabay to bit knesset. Still be a gabay to bit knesset. Meaning what? The point of the story is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides whether you succeed or you fail. Now we're back to the original point. We have, right now, a situation. Millions and millions of Jews are putting in their two cents about their own version of the emotional pain. Some are showing that they're traitors and losers in Hollywood, and they're siding with the Palestinian terrorists that would love to have them there, not for a show, just simply to make a show out of them. But they're supporting Palestine. Some are surprised at how much hate there is for Jews. I saw Mark Cuban, I didn't even know he was Jewish. He says, listen, we're always, well, you're Jewish? Okay, he's Jewish, good for you. Bad for you, really, if you die this way, because it doesn't seem like you keep any mitzvot, but... Said that he's part of his Judaism, whatever Judaism is to him. And some other people, famous people, are saying, listen, there's pain, I can't believe it, how much they hate us, this looks like uh, Nazi Germany, and everybody's sharing this pain right now. Now, most of the people are feeling this pain because, see, look, you guys are cold, so let me Most of uh, the people are feeling the pain over and over again because of the news. Because of all of those cooking show people that are now on YouTube and the conspiracy theories that why used to... Say, why don't you just say it's all fake? That's what it, is. it is fake. Right, so but, if, but it's much funnier if I say it's cooking show people. It's more entertaining. If I say it's fake, yeah, it's like, that's like two years ago's joke. Now it's new material. They're all lying. They're all speculating. That's the thing. Some of them are outright lying. The rest of them are speculating. Why? Because no one knows what's going on. Even the people that are in the war don't know what's going on. Even the soldiers don't know what's going on. Even the people that are leading the war don't know what's going on. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what's going on, what's going to happen out of this. But the key is, is that the effect on the people continues to grow. Meaning, people continue to grow more nervous, People continue to be more miserable. People continue to be confused. Now, is this good or is this bad for you? Shlomo Amelech said, 
that Ashrei Adam Mefachim Tamid. Praiseworthy is the person that's always scared. But was this what he was referring to? Now, in a one of the Chachamim that uh, wrote a responsa that has a lot of different chuvot uh, that have to do with a lot of different things. Usually responses have to do with yes, no, this is the reason why yes, this is the reason why no. There's not much musar that you'll find in responses. But here, in the sefer called Shoelu Meshiv, it brings up a Gemara in Yerushalmi, in Masechet Orayot, Chapter 2, Alachan number 5. We're over there, Rabbi Zera says, if somebody is about to sin with his wife while she's Nida. That's, Nida is Isur Karet. But he has a Yatsara, he's in a bad situation right now, let's just say. Yatsara is on his head. So Rabbi Zera says, you have two options. Option number one, option number one, think that if you sin, in Shemaim, they're going to cut you up to little pieces. And imagine each part of your body being cut up in small little pieces, like an aknik. Option number two, option number two, think about the day you're going to die, and how, you know, it's going to be punishment over there. Chamim said, whoa, such extreme difference. One, he's like so detailed. And the other one's like, oh, like what the Gemara Masechet Berchot says, that if you're about to sin, think about the, you know, say Shema Yisrael, you know, think that Hashem runs the world, if that's not enough, you know, eventually get to the point of thinking that you're going to die. But here the first, Rabbi Zerah says the first option is that. <coughs> Why such extreme difference? Cure? For sure. Seems like, just give me the second one, it's much easier. Why do I have to go this uh, pieces, small pieces, naknik, oh, 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 all the details. Even worse than my Gehenno movie. Why all this detail? So, Hamim explains, like, listen. If you have Yirat Shamayim, like Rabbi Zera, the thought of you being cut up into small little pieces comes to you naturally. With every single little sin. You forgot to pray on time. You, uh, Shabbat is almost, you almost violated. Now, you didn't violate because you got the wrong time. You looked at last week's time, not this week's time. You almost, every small little thing, you're already thinking about the horrible, most worst thing in the world. That's if you have really Yilat Shemayim. You don't have really Yilat Shemayim. Okay, we'll give it to you like the little kids. Let's say, okay, say Shemayim, think about the day you're going to die. What's the point? point is that the Chachamim are talking to us and telling us, listen, in the beginning, it's good for you to be scared in general. It's good for you to be scared in general. The more you learn, the more you'll become scared. That's why Shlomo HaMelech said, Ashrei Adam Mefachet Tamid. Praiseworthy is the person that's always scared. Why? Because that means he's knowledgeable. He's knowledgeable. The question is, are we scared of the right thing? Is being scared of Hamas, of terrorism, really what we're supposed to be scared of? Now everyone's going to say, no, no, Rabbi, you're supposed to be scared of uh, Hashem. Okay, so how come you're scared to cross the street because there's an Arab on the other side? How come you're scared to walk around at night all of a sudden? 
How come you're scared to uh, go to the store because sometimes he has out workers? How come you're scared of this? How come you're scared of that? It's, all of us know he's scared of Hashem. But some people, they just know it theoretically. Ideal, like I said last week, you're supposed to get to a point of bitachon where you can feel, even if it's hopefully only theoretically, you're going to walk into Gaza and no one's going to touch you. That's the goal. The goal is to feel to that point where you know no one can help, help you, no one can hurt you, other than Akadosh Lohu. In the meantime, huh? again, I said theoretically, the point being is, I'm not saying go put yourself in danger. I'm saying a person needs to have the level of bitachon in Hashem that he knows that he is the only one that decides what's going to happen to me. No one else can help me, no one else can hurt me. But is this other extra help that we have now from the terrorists helping us become better Jews? Or is it really distancing us from HaKadosh Baruch Hu? A lot of people did tshuva, for sure. But are they doing tshuva for the reason of because they think that it's going to save them from the terrorists? Or are they doing tshuva because they realize they don't have an answer in their current ideology? Now, realistically, we don't care why they did tshuva as long as they did tshuva. But long term, long term, a person needs to know why they are what they are. Why should you continuously celebrate a book of laws like in our event, Rabbi Yaakov Zamir, the chief Dayan in, uh, in Israel, said, you know, we, in, you know, the Jewish people, if we present our book to the rest of the nations, they think we're crazy. We're celebrating around a book of laws. The rest of the nations are like, book of laws? We throw in the garbage book of laws. Who likes a book of laws? Why are you guys dancing? No one understands us. Why? Everybody hates books of laws. We are dancing around a book of laws. So the thing is, though, is that long-term a person needs to understand, why am I hated now the enemy doesn't care if you're religious or not religious he hates everybody he's programmed to hate it's a computer virus he's programmed to destroy the question is do you know why you're still Jewish 3,334 years later 35 years later after Matan Torah we're still hated do you know why you're part of this nation now if a person thinks that the hatred is because of the land or it's because of uh, any other reason aside from the Torah, they have to learn more Torah because the Torah tells us this is part of the tools that HaKadosh Baruch Hu uses. Meaning anti-Semitism is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's virus that he puts into society in order to control his people. Before the Holocaust, the assimilation between the Jews and the Gentiles was so high that in Germany, for example, over 90% of the Jews went and married non-Jews. Many of them even converted to Christianity and Catholicism. Over 90%. In the rest of Europe, also very high percentages, 70-80%. A lot of people were marrying into the non-Jewish world. So much so that we were one generation away from no more Jews. So although the Holocaust killed many, it reminded everybody what we are, whoever was left. So here we have the same situation in the world. In America, over 80% of the Jews are marrying non-Jews. The assimilation is out of this world. And even in the religious world, even the people that are religious keep to wine mitzvot and so on, 
still have to a certain extent, some of them have also assimilated to a certain extent their mindset, their, their ideology, where it's gotten to the point where if you talk to people about Yirat Shamayim, automatically they're taking back, well, hold on a second, why, why are you talking like that? Why are you talking about Geno? Why are you talking about punishment? Talk to me about nice things. Talk about Ganeden. Talk about Ganeden. In this week's parasha, we have Sarai Menu, Parashat Chayesara. Now, Sarai Menu leaves this world, and it says that Avram Avinu cried, but a little bit, over Sarai Menu. A little bit. And you think, you're with somebody for over a hundred years, you cry a lot. No, Avram Avinu cried a little bit. And it's not because he didn't love Sarah. How do we know? Look what he bought. What kind of gravesite he bought her. The gravesite he bought her is, in today's money, $40, $50 million. Which, by the way, as a side note, the Marat HaMachpelah is one of the greatest proofs of the divinity of the Torah and how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves Am Yisrael. Why? Obviously, at that time, you have Marat HaMachpelah, you have all the people that are part of this whole situation where Avraham Avinu is about to buy this, uh, this place from uh, the uh, Ephron. Meaning it's a whole town. A lot of people. Certainly some people are much richer than Avraham. Certainly there are much other people that are much more popular than Avraham. Maybe they have bigger YouTube channels. Maybe they have bigger fan base. They have more likes on TikTok. There's many more people than Avraham. Avraham is certainly not the only guy that's popular. Especially since he's new. But yet, 4,000 years later, the only thing that remains from that entire civilization that lived at that time, the only thing that remains is Me'arat HaMachpelah and a story of Parashat Chayesara. You don't have any stories about Ephron and what he did with his kids on the weekend or his lineage and how they grew up to be such and such. You don't have any stories about the rest of the people that were there. You don't have any pictures. You don't have any, any, nothing. There's no houses. There's no monuments. There's nothing left. Zero. The only thing that's left is Me'arat HaMachpelah. And it's not only left. It's glorified. People come there from all over the world to come pray there. It's a holy place. Of course, it's one of the things we fight with the Arabs about because they think it's theirs for some reason. Like they think everything else is theirs. But the beauty here is that you see a Kadosh Baruch who wrote it in the Torah, and just like the Torah is eternal, he has this, this Marat HaMachpelah became eternal. Showing us that this story could have just been about some place that, uh, whatever, it's gone, gone with the time. Could have been, yeah, you know, there was a cave in some place, let's call it Hebron. And that, 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 that happened, and there's no more Hebron in the world. There's no more Hebron. And we would accept it just fine. But no. HaKadosh Baruch said, no, no. This Hebron, this Marat Machpelah, you're going to see it no matter what year you're alive. And not only that, you're going to see it, and it's going to be beautiful, you can visit it. Show you. What, what else? Can I see any monument of anything else that happened there 4,000 years ago? No. Nothing. Nothing else available. Everything else was built on. Everything else became grass. Everything else became rocks. Everything else became nothing. So now back to crying over 
Sarah. Okay. Little bit. Lifkota. Right. But the, the, the Hebrew has bewelder, it says Lifkota with a small chaf. And the Chachamim say the reason why there's a small chaf, it's an unusual, you can see it in my chumash, the reason why the word has everything normal size except the chaf is small is because the chaf is in essence to symbolize that he cried only a little bit. The question is why he cried only a little bit? Because we know he loved her a lot, he bought her a $40 million monument that's still available till this day. Today, you can't even buy a jewelry that's going to last a, a month. Can't buy anything that's going to last a long time. Honey, where's your engagement ring? Oh, you gave me an engagement ring? Well, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's only been, I don't know, five years, ten years. Oh, yeah. Nobody knows anything. Everything's gone. But here he bought us something. It's still available today, 4,000 years later. But he only cried a little bit. Why did he cry only a little bit? The reason why Rabotai is because Avraham Avinu knew that this life is like a corridor to the real life. It's only a small little hole. You're here for a little while. She was here for 127 years, but she is in Olam Abba in Gan Eden forever. So what are you going to cry about? She's in Gan Eden. She's in the best place in the world. She's in the best place in the world. What are we going to cry about? She's great. She's doing fantastic. She's not sick in the morning. She doesn't have any backaches. Her legs are not puffy. You know, she doesn't have to worry about what dress is going to fit her, not fit her. Is she fat? Is she skinny? Is the hair good? Is the hair good? Is the kiski suros? Daki suros? Nothing. There's no problems over there. The kids are not driving her crazy. There's babysitters. For free. Everything is great. There's no problems over there. Now, people ask me, why don't you give? You give shiur about Genom. Why don't you give shiur about Gan Eden? That was the shiur about Gan Eden. <laughs> why, why, is that, why cannot be expanded upon? Because it won't interest you. What we do in Gan Eden when we get there is not of interest to many people in this world. I tell you they learned Torah. People say, what, they learned Torah? It's still there? What kind of Gan Eden is that? I said, okay, you're probably not going to go there. Yes? Ah. The, the father is responsible for his actions, just like the son is responsible for his actions. So, Ishmael did tshuva, he's responsible for his. If the son would have done tshuva, he would have also done. They, they, just because the father is righteous doesn't mean the, the son is going to be righteous. For example, you have Avram Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu, Yaakov Avinu, all of them righteous. But, we have Yitzhak uh, uh, had Esav. Uh, Esav is Edom, he's Amalek, he's the ultimate arch enemy of, of Am Israel, of Yaakov. They're not getting punished because of him. No, the uh, Esav, Esav was wicked. The way the Torah says is that if the father is wicked and the son is wicked, then the son gets punished for both because he's continuing the wickedness of his father. But if, if, the, father is, if the father is righteous and the son is wicked, then the father doesn't get punished for his son. Only if the father caused him to be wicked. If the father caused him to be wicked, then he gets punished for it. But if he brought him to yeshiva, he brought him good things, and he decided to be a criminal, that's his problem. So, Ishmael, he did tshuva in the end. He lived a wicked life, and then he did tshuva, and that's why he's mentioned in this week's parasha at the end. He's mentioned that he buried Avram together with Yitzchak. If he was still wicked, he wouldn't have been mentioned. His descendants, on the other hand, many of them are very wicked. Now, when we talk about Gan Eden, Gan Eden, generally speaking, is joy, is beautiful, but it's not really much of interest that most people would relate to in this world. 
Genom, on the other hand, is something that everyone can relate to, to a certain extent, because everyone knows what pain is. Whether you're a little kid and you endured pain by falling while playing with some type of ball, or you ran after your friend, and instead of catching him, you ran into a pole, everybody knows pain. When you're a little older, somebody stole some money from you, that's pain. When you get a little older, there's all types of other issues, marriage issues, children issues, financial issues, health issues. You know, you wake up one day, you're already 50 years old, and you feel like you're 150 years old. You remember yesterday you were 20, now you're 50, everything hurts all of a sudden. You know pain. So everyone knows pain. And Genom talks about that. Now, Chachamim say that people have gone to the point, and this is in Or Israel, which was a book written by Rabbi, uh, uh, Rabbi Israel Misalat and also combined with this Talmud, Rabbi Yitzhak Blazer. Highly recommended. One of the few high-quality Musar books that has been translated perfectly to English. But is obviously also available in other languages. What was the name? Sorry. Or Israel. He says that people have gone to the point where they're scared to learn about Yirat Shemaim. Scared to learn about Genom. Scared to learn about Punishment. Because when they hear about it, they imagine themselves there. Now, if I tell you about Ganeden, I just told you about Ganeden. You guys heard the show about Ganeden. It's wonderful. But nobody felt like they were in Ganeden. When I told you there's no, you know, there's no problems, there's babysitters, no one, the feet don't hurt, the hands don't hurt, nothing hurts. No one felt like they were in Ganeden. It was just funny. It was entertaining. It's great. Hopefully one day I'll be there. No one really felt like they were there. But anyone that watches five minutes of any one of my shulim where I talk about Genom, all of a sudden they say, oh, I don't want to go there. Well, who's talking about you going there? I'm just talking about generally. Everybody feels like they're going to be there. Why? That's how HaKadosh Baruch programmed us. That's how HaKadosh Baruch programmed us. You can relate to it. Hence the reason why people, when they don't want to serve Hashem the way Hashem wants them to serve Him, they run away from shiurim, they run away from books, they run away from teachings that talk about Genom. I remember I talked to one Avrech, that Baruch Hashem did tshuva, even though he was already an Avrech, he had to do tshuva. Why had to do tshuva? Because all of the sex, he was learning the shas, but he knew nothing about reward, punishment, he just knew about different sugyot in the Gemara. And I told wait, did you go over Masech Brachot? He said, yes. Masechet Abu Dazara? Yes. I mean, it's practically in every Masechet. I said, wait, what about those sections over there where it talks about reward and punishment? He goes, no, we skipped those. We skipped those. So he has to do tshuva. Baruch Hashem, he did tshuva. And all of a sudden, he became a much bigger Tamit Chacham. He was able to understand a lot of things that he couldn't understand before. So the reason why people don't like to talk about it is because they imagine themselves there. Here we have Avraham Avinu. A little letter, Nifkota, is talking about how just a little bit of crying. Why? You don't have to talk too much about it. Because she's in Gan Eden. She's in Gan Eden. If I tell you about what she's experiencing and how wonderful it is, you won't relate. You won't feel like you're there. It'll sound cool. I'll tell you about all the crazy, amazing animals that are there. The animals there all have wings. They're all beautiful. Even the pig is beautiful. Everything is wonderful there. Believe it or not, you eat over there, unlike what many people think. You eat there, and you even are with your wife there. There's a lot of wonderful things there. Now, it's not going to help you serve Hashem? No. It is very interesting. Mentally stimulating, for sure. But it's not going to help you in your purpose in life. On the other hand, Yirat Shemaim will. 
Why? Akadosh Baruch Hu says, Mara Masechet Shabbat, Yirat Hashem, Iyotzarot. The fear of Hashem, that's his treasure. So now, Rabbi Natan of Breslev, the Talmid Muvak of Rabbi Nachman of Breslev, he writes in Sichot Aran, Torah 22. Many people know Breslev as the fun Hasidut. The fun Hasidut, you go dance in the middle of the street, you know, nana nachnach, all types of wonderful hats, all types of wonderful dancing, all types of wonderful music, everybody's happy. But when you really see the serious Talmidei Chachamim in Breslev, they're not like that. I met a few really serious Talmidei Chachamim. In Breslev, they were nothing like that. They were like serious Talmidei Chachamim, like everybody else. You didn't know whether they were Breslev or not. Why? Because they know what Rabbi Natan of Breslev said over here in Torah number 22. He says, Know a rule, he says, that all of the fears and worries that a person has in this world shorten his life. And one who delves into them excessively, into his own matters, like, oh, I have to be worried about what I'm going to eat. You know, this thing, it may not be healthy. I have to have a special diet. Or over there, I can't go on that street because over there, there's certain people. And over there, there's dirty air. And over there, there's excessive violence. And over there, they're worried about everything. They're scared to live. Everything they're scared of. Oh, you heard in the news, China's really upset at us, and Russia is also upset, and Turkey, they're not making Turkey anymore, and everybody's this, and everybody's that, and all these things, and he's worried about everything. Rabbi Natan of Breslov says, that type of worry, chash make a person die early. That type of worry make a person die early. He's shortening his life. This also agrees, by the way, with anyone that saw our series, probably one of the most popular ones that people watch over and over again, including my wife, which is Bitachon Be'ashem, 16 lectures that change your life. Especially if you continue into the Chazonish, first 20 lectures, it continues that series. But he says the same exact thing. The punishment for anxiety is the thing that you're anxious about happening to you. You're afraid that some snake's going to, you're afraid of snakes, you're afraid everywhere, snakes, 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 guess what? Snakes are going to come to you. Snakes are going to come to you. Why? Because you're scared of snakes. The things you're scared of that are not Hashem happen to you. Why? It's a punishment. This is exactly what Rabbi Natan of Breslov says. All of this excessive worry about the news, about the war, about the terrorists, about all of these things, that's the problem. It's not the terrorists that's killing you. You're killing yourself. You're killing yourself with all the news. You're killing yourself with all the worry. Those things shorten a person's life and one who delves into these own matters excessively ends up ruining his life. But all of the fears and worries that one has of Hashem increases and lengthens his life. As Shlomo HaMelech says in Mishle chapter 10 verse 27, the fear of Hashem increases his days. And even the fear that he has of punishment is included in this fear of Hashem and ends up lengthening his life. Now, here Rabbi Natan of Breslev 
gives us the right perspective of what you're supposed to be scared of. News? No. Terrorists? No. Hashem? Yes. In fact, the more you're scared about Hashem, the longer your life is going to be. And if, let's say, he says, you made a mistake, you made a certain sin, whatever the sin is, big sin, small sin, he says, the fact that you're scared, you're going to be punished of that sin, you're scared of Gehenom, you're scared of Kafakela, you're scared of all these things, you're imagining it, you're thinking about it, you're reading about it, you're learning about it, or even you're not reading or anything, you're just scared you're going to get punished, you're going to lose money, you're going to lose your relationship. Bottom line is you're scared because of a sin. That is good for you. It'll actually lengthen your days in this world. Because you're scared of Hashem. If you're scared of anything other than Hashem, you're killing yourself. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other guy to die. Now, one of the biggest enemies of Hasidut was the Gaon Vilna. Gaon Vilna hated Hasidut. Let's just say plainly. And the one that was the least favorite was Breslev. Breslev. He didn't like Breslev at all. <coughs> but guess what? On this, the Gaon Mi Vilna, on his commentary on Sefer Mishle, on Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, the same exact uh, pasuk, he literally says the same exact thing. When a person's fear of life lessens his years, but if he fears Hashem, it increases his life. It increases his years. So, here, whether you're Hasidish, or you're one of the Mitnagdim, or whoever you are, and whatever you are, this is the Pshat. The Pshat is exactly the same. You can't come to me and say, yeah, but in the world of Hasidic we think this, but in the world of the Litvish we think this, but we're Sephardic, there's no... This is the pshat of the pasuk. Fear of Hashem, long life. Fear of anything else, you're killing yourself. Now, the Midrash Rabbah, Parashat Mishpatim, says, we have ourselves a Talmit Chacham. He learns Alachot, he learns Midrashim, he learns all the different sugyot. He can give you different pilpul about this one and that one. Why this one's right, that one's right. All the different things. But the Midrash says, does he know about Gainom? Does he know about punishment? God says, no. He says he's worth nothing. And you can say, oh, that's a Midrash. We don't have to accept the Midrash. Don't worry. It's also in the Gemara. Masechet Shabbat. Page 31. A. He said, if a person learns the entire Torah by heart, the whole thing, what's the whole thing? Millions of books. Millions. No other people has ever had as much writing as we do. Not even close. Millions of books. He knows the whole thing by heart. One day, goes up to Shemaim. They ask him questions. Hello. How are you, Mr. Ruben? Oh, Rabbi, we'll call you Mr. over here. Yeah, there's no rabbis. What'd you do? How'd you do? No, they don't ask you what'd you do, what you do. They already know. What do they do? You learned Torah? Good. You taught Torah? Good. You did chesed? Fantastic. 
Wonderful. But let's just see, hold on a second. Let's look at the calculator inside, the little thing. You got Shemaim? No, you got Shemaim? Okay, that's the chamber you're going to go in over there. Over there. Make a left, make a left. The hot one, the hot one. Go over there. What? That's what the Gemara says. Even if he knows the entire Torah by heart, but he doesn't have Yerat Shemaim, it's all worthless. Why? The Gemara gives an analogy, like an example. It says if somebody, let's say, had a bunch of crops. He told his worker, go, take care of the crops, make sure you put them in the attic, over there, so they don't get rained on, nobody hurts. Okay, fine. The guy does the job, comes back a few hours later. He says, okay, boss, I did it. And the boss says to him, did you put chumtin on him? Chumtin is preservative. He says, no, I didn't put preservative. He goes, ah, I was better off you didn't do anything. Why? I did all that hard work a few hours. He goes, if you didn't put preservative on it, it won't survive. It won't survive. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in the Gemara says the same exact thing with Yerat Shemayim. If you don't, that's the chumtin. That's the preservative of all of your actions. If your actions of chesed, of learning Torah, of marriage, of having children, of business, of just interacting with society, or even going to the bathroom. If all of those things have Yirat Shemaim connected to them, good. They don't, for sure, they're full of sins. You say, wait a minute, how, how can you sin going to the bathroom? You can sin going to the bathroom. You can sin plenty going to the bathroom. If you learn the of how to go to the bathroom, you can learn how you can sin to go to the bathroom. The point being here is that Chachamim told us, if this guy knows a lot of Torah, but he doesn't have Yilat Shemayim, he's not worth anything. They weren't exaggerating. It wasn't like uh, one of those like, you know, shock jock type of uh, statements, oh, let's just get people really scared like the, uh, you know, the newscasters. No, no, this is the bottom line. Yeah, he can learn about it, but not have it. He can learn. He can learn. Let's say, for example, he goes home. He goes, you know what? This rabbi mentioned so many times the Gano movie, the Gano movie, the Gano movie. I'm going to watch the Gano movie. And he gets himself some popcorn. He gets himself some Coca-Cola. Or if he's a healthy, you know, junk freak, you know, he can eat water. You know, there's so many videos about how Coca-Cola destroys, like, screws and cars and, I don't know, like, buildings. So I don't think anybody drinks Coke anymore. So, okay, well, water. And he turns on Bezot Hashem app, or he turns on YouTube, or whatever he turns on, he starts watching the uh, film. Three hours into it, he likes it. It's like, wow, it's a cool movie. Wow, amazing. I like it. It's like he went to the movies. You know, people spend billions of dollars every single year going to watch scary movies. So he thinks it's like one of those. You know, they pay $20, $30 to watch a scary movie. Some guy with a mask on killing a bunch of people unnecessarily for no reason whatsoever and always walks really, really slow. But somehow he's always there when you don't want him to be there. So he thinks, so he thinks this is the same thing. This this scary movie, this scary movie. He's like, one of those. Guess what? He watched it. He learned it. He saw it. He didn't apply it. But that's the bottom line. Many people have learned basic things, but don't apply it. In fact, every single person on planet Earth that learned Parashat Noach has learned about judgment. We start the Torah, Hashem creates the world. A few minutes later, we already screw up. The snake convinced us to do a bunch of things, fine. 
The next parasha, meaning you're six years old. This is your second week in school. You learned parashat Noach. Second week in school, six years old. Oh, in the beginning there was God. Then he destroyed everybody. What do you mean he destroyed everybody? Oh, he destroyed them. And the older you are, the more details they give you. In fact, some of the best books that give you details are kids' books. Because they're not worried about being politically correct. The adult books are usually problematic. Why? Because people start putting their own opinions of what actually happened. No, they tell you what the Midrashim say. Giants melted, became liquid, horrible things happened to them, ta, 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 all these different things. Now, that means that every little kid that learned about Parashat Noah learns what judgment is, what punishment is. Now, does that mean that that kid's going to become a tzaddik? No. Well, he could learn it, he could understand it in his capacity, but if, if he goes home to a house that has video games, if he goes home to a house that Torah is not priority, if he goes home to a house where there's intermarriage, if he goes home to a house where, you know, Torah is like just something you do when you get a chance, then guess what? He's not going to grow up having any fear that Hashem is going to destroy the world. I'm an Alitz. The point is, is that we can learn certain things, but it doesn't mean we're going to apply them. One of the things that people come to me for to help them the most with is about issues of immorality. You know, Tikkun Abrit movie and all of those topics. Now, every single one of those guys that reaches out to me, he's reaching out not because he's doing great. He's reaching out to me because he's struggling, but he knows this is the solution. You have a movie. I got some information. I'm scared to death. I want to fix it. Can you help me out? And I'm happy to do it. And I give them some more lectures and some more things and some more guidance. And guess what? It's a struggle. But if they're really willing to do it, they eventually overcome it. They eventually become tzaddikim. And I've seen some of the best people on planet Earth start off as outright criminals. Outright criminals. Horrible. They go with married women. They, they do drugs. They do horrible, terrible things. They're just nasty, nasty people. But after they overcome this thing, all of a sudden, they're scared of their own shadow. So much respect. They make it like a Mashiach or something. Oh, you saved this. Oh, I just did this. I bought this for my parents. I did this for my sister. All these wonderful... They become these wonderful people. Amazing people. But they start off as criminals. So those people, they saw it and they applied it. And then there are people, they see it and they don't want to apply it. So they say to me, Rabbi, did somebody give you a, uh, any permission to put such videos online for the public to see? I mean, are you, is somebody else, some big rabbinical authority review these lectures of yours and these movies and gave you a askama for all of these things? I said, what am I publicizing? I'm publicizing Torah. There's 116 Torah sources in the Tikkun Abrit movie, 172 in the uh, Geno movie. You don't want to watch the film, just write down the sources, go read a million and a half books. I did you the job, whatever you want. No, but I'm just saying this, you're showing this to the public. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Did you call, uh, you know, United Studios and uh, you know, on Hollywood and ask them, did some rabbinical authority give you guys the permission to uh, publicize these movies in the theaters that are near my community? You want to watch? Watch Bechabu the tree. You don't want to watch? Go, uh, I don't know, make friends with the wall. No, 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 but they have to. 
They have to bother. They have to make comments. They have to cause it. You know why? Because they know that they're the criminal. And they don't want to change. They don't want to change. Five minutes into the film, five minutes into the lecture, like, oh, he's talking about me. You told them about me. They start looking at their friends that are there. You told them about me. You told them about me. No, he doesn't even know you. They're the criminal. So now, Rabotai, Chachamim, tell us why. Why? Why is it that people are scared to talk about Yerat Shemaim? Because automatically, Kadosh Baruch Hu programmed us that we feel like we're there. We feel like we're there. Now, if a person doesn't want to feel like he's there, he wants to stay a criminal, he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. And if he's a bigger criminal, he'll even stop other people from talking about it. He'll even stop other people from talking about it. Now, what does it feel like to have real, real Yerat Shemaim during a war? To a certain Talmud Chacham named Rabbi David Blicher. Rabbi David Blicher. He was at the time of the Soviet communist rule where at that time you weren't allowed to teach Torah, you weren't allowed to express any type of religiosity. Communism is anti-Torah, communism is the enemy of Torah. This is, by the way, why Orthodox Jewish people that are familiar with the history and familiar with the ultimate mission of Zionism, they're anti-Zionist. This does not mean that you go and protest with the Iranians and the Palestinians. That's obviously against the Torah to do such a thing. You can't be a friend to criminals, but to be pro-Zionist is against the Torah with the purity of what Zionism actually means. Now, there's a different, new definition of Zionism today. They call it religious Zionism, which has nothing to do, more or less, with, with the real Zionism. Real Zionism is destruction of the Torah. It's communism. So now, Rav Blicher was around at a time where communism was ruling. You weren't allowed to teach Torah. Needless to say, you weren't allowed to learn Torah. But what did he do? He used to teach Torah anyway. He had a little place underground, and he would teach little kids. Little kids. Some people say, whoa, big rabbi teaching little kids. Shmaya Naftalion. Shmaya Naftalion. They were the Zugot. They were even before the Tanaim. Why are they called Shmaya Naftalion? Aftalion means that he was the father of orphans. All the kids were his kids. He would teach all of them. Av, Av means father. Talion is a word for orphans. He's the father of all the orphans. Shmaya Naftalion were the rabbis of all the kids. All of Doleado used to teach kids. And it was considered a big honor to teach kids. So Rablicha would teach little kids and he would teach them Gemara. And one day, they're going and they're learning a Tosfot. And all of a sudden, the door breaks. A KGB officer, 30 years old, vicious monster, comes in, makes noise. All the kids are scared to death. Because if he leaves here, the same way he came out, everyone's dead. He's going to report them, headquarters of KGB. Everyone, in the best case scenario, goes to Siberia. Worst case scenario, they don't make it to Siberia. That's how the KGB worked. And to this day, there's KGB, there's, you know, Putin. Everybody knows that he's a former KGB officer. Technically still is. Technically still has special relationships. Anyone that doesn't agree with him goes on a plane and doesn't land. Just now, recently, there was a guy that's one of his commanders, was loyal to him for many, many years. One time, he disagreed with him about something that they were doing in regards to the Ukraine war. 
But he said it publicly. So, Putin said to him, okay, get punished, exile. Get out of the army, exile, leave. He got on the plane, leaving, plane blew up though. He didn't get to the exile. Didn't get to the exile. He got to the plane, but not the exile. Nuts, all of his friends. Now, here this KGB officer breaks into a little Talmud Torah. Kids are scared to death. And the Rav continues to teach. Ablicha, still teaching. As he's teaching, he's noticing the kids are not paying attention. He looks up and he sees this officer right in front of him. He realizes this is the reason why the kids are not paying attention. He gets up, he's 70 years old. He gets up and he slaps him across the face with all of his strength to the point that the officer falls on the floor. He gets up. Now everyone's scared even more. What's, you're going to kill us now. The KGB gets up, covers his face, and walks out. Now everyone is even more worried now. If we're going to get arrested, now we're for sure going to die. But days pass, nothing happens. They continue to learn, no one shows up, everything is good. The briskarav heard about this, and he came to the Rav uh, He says to him, I don't understand. How, how did you do it? Like, how did you think that it's a good idea? Aren't, don't you think you're putting all of these kids at risk, yourself at risk? And Rav says to him, what risk? What are you talking about? We're learning a Tosfot, and this guy comes and bothers to us. Don't you think he deserves a slap? <laughs> Meaning is Yirat Shemayim was so high, he doesn't even understand, wait, what worry? What are you talking about? He's not going to kill me. Oh, that Kadosh Baruch can. His connection to Kadosh Baruch is so high, that he's not even in the same world as us. Is thinking, him kill me? Why would, why, would I, why, would I, why would he, how could he kill me? Hashem decides if I live or I don't live. Later on they found out, how come the guy never came back then? You know, like, okay, we understand. You're not Shemaim, you're Tzadik, you're holy. Great. But really, what happened? Behind the scenes, what happened? They found out that the KGB officer was so embarrassed that a 70-year-old man broke his teeth with a slap that he was too embarrassed to tell his officers. So that's why he never came back. If you told him, listen, I went, I saw these people learning Torah, you have to arrest them. Wait, what happened to your teeth? Who did that to your teeth? Who's going to say, 70-year-old man did you? They'd probably kill him too. So he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell anybody. Another uh, example is this same Rav Blicher in his Sefer. He writes, it's a question, here's a response, huh? it's a question. And he says, people asked, how far should our army go? How far should our army go into enemy territory during a war? It's a very relevant question right now. How far into the enemy territory should we go? Should we stop at a certain point, worry about civilians, worry about the news, worry about the uh, allies that are not such allies sometimes maybe? Should we worry about all these things? 
He says, what kind of question is this? When you're at war, you do everything possible and don't stop and must go as far as possible in order to destroy the enemy. Meaning, the, the goal is that you have to understand if you're at war, that means you're at war for survival. You cannot have any time or any attention to matters of what people think about you or how they review you or how they're going to help you or hurt you or they're going to do business with you. If you're at war, that means you're at wars. I mean, doesn't go to wars for no reason. We don't go to wars to conquer land. We have conquered land as a result of wars, but it's not because we provoked the wars. Not because we started the wars. He says, if we're already at war, you cannot take anything into consideration. All of the things they have in the media, oh, they're, they're killing civilians. You know, 7,000 people died. 6,800 of them are little babies. What did you kill? A baby center? How is it that so many are babies? It's all a lie. It's all one big lie. Oh, look, this guy's dead. He died. But yet the next day you see him, he's actually one of the hospital physicians. They have this whole program, this Hollywood industry in Palestine that they literally, they, guys pretend that they're dead. They put them in body bags and they're checking their phones. They put makeup on them to make it look like it's blood. They put the kid under a bunch of rocks, make it seem like, uh, like he died in the rocks. You know, the next day you see him in a picture in a, some commercial selling some, uh, some toy. So you can't have any, any attention to these things. You're at war, that means you're at war for survival. There is no question of how far into the enemy territory you go. You go as far as possible until you destroy the enemy. He told me before the yesterday. You go as far as possible until you destroy the enemy. Which means, if Am Yisrael would fight this war the way the Torah says, that means that Gaza will turn into exactly what I've been saying since the beginning of the war, which is a nice stadium, which eventually will have some synagogues there. That's what it will turn into. If Am Yisrael fights the wars of the media, that means it's going to stop and they're going to continue suffering from this. Even worse than before. Why? The world will still hate them. And now even more. And the enemy will still be there. And now the enemy will even be more empowered. Because more people will give them money. They'll be able to buy more weapons to, 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 to fight us with. It'll just become much worse. So when you go according to the Torah, either you have to go all the way. You have to completely annihilate anything that's there. Oh, what's going to happen to them? Who cares? They're the enemy. When was the last time anyone was concerned about what their enemies is going is to do? Oh, yeah, but they're civilians. Okay, they should have thought about that before they uh, lived in an enemy state. And reality is, there is no civilians. They're all terrorists. There's no exceptions. The kids are terrorists. The women are terrorists. The adults are terrorists. And anyone that spent a little time researching it, looking at it, looking at what the civilians say, speaking to them, seeing interviews of what they say, they're all enemies. They're all terrorists. Every single one of them, without exception. Even the Arabs here. Even the Arabs here, 100%. Who are doing the terrorist attacks here? Arabs that live here. If, if they were who was the ones that celebrating here? Who was the ones that do terrorist attacks here? They don't feel like they're home here. They feel like we are intruding their home. Now, are there some decent Arabs in the world? Sure, there are some decent ones. I'm not talking about the ones that are decent, that are pro-Israel. 
I'm talking about people that are, if they're pro-Palestine and they feel like that's their home, that means they're terrorists. Now, terrorists doesn't mean you kill people. Terrorists could be just simply supporting a, uh, uh, killing people. Supporting the ultimate death of Am Yisrael. So, Arad Blichel, this tzaddik, that was not afraid of a 30-year-old KGB officer that was interrupting his Gemara session, says, there's no discounts in war. You go into enemy territory until there's no more enemy. Until there's no more enemy. Anyone that needs ideas of where the Palestinians can go, I already said there's a good idea. There's a nice resort in Egypt that Jews built. It's called the Pyramids. You can go over there. Go the Jewish. You like Jewish land? Okay, go to the pyramids. We built that over there also. Go over there. Go to the pyramids. Go to the mountains. Go to Gainom. There's an opening in the desert over there also. Go to wherever you go. You're the enemy. You're the enemy. You cannot be concerned about the enemy's well-being if you're fighting them. It's like two people, you know, a boxing. Each person gets $20 million. Whoever wins gets $20 million. And he punches them. He goes, are you okay? Are you okay? Okay. Wait, are you okay? Are you okay? I hurt you? Oh, okay. Like you, you, you hit me once. You hit me back. What kind of fighter is this? It's either you're at war or you're not at war. But that's the thing. Only Ami said is expected to fight this nonsensical term called proportional fight. America fights, annihilate them. Atomic bombs, uh, every type of bomb known to man. Russia fights, Ukraine fights, everyone fights. Even if the Arabs fight their own people. When they fight their own people, the, the Syrians, they put a chemical war on their, own, on their own people. When they bombed their own people with chemical weapons, did anybody protest? No. When America put a couple of atomic bombs on Japan, anybody protest? No. All of the things that happen around the world, anybody protest? No. Why? Because we know this is all Kadosh Buhu's hand. That's what we cannot spent even a minute listening to the media regardless of what the media is whether it's Fox Major News and CNN or it's YouTube free bumbo jumbo former cookie salesman is, is, is doing it it doesn't matter who it is if you're listening to these people you are poisoning your mind you're creating fears in your mind that you're not allowed to fear you're hearing about somebody else's tanks and somebody else's war plans and somebody else's potential this and somebody else's potential that and how they want to kill you. You are creating fears you're not allowed to have. And that's what Rabbi Natan and the Gaomi Vilna and the, uh, uh, all of the Chachamim agree on is that those fears are what's going to shorten your life. Not the terrorists, not the war. You want to have fear? Have fear like a blicher. Fear of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Somebody interrupted your Shi'u Torah? You should be scared. You should be scared. Somebody's interrupting your Torah. The Gemara says, somebody learns Torah. And all of a sudden, he sees that uh, they're, they're opening ice cream in the kitchen. He sees kids opening ice cream. He's like, oh, you know, I want ice cream. He stops going to the Torah. He goes, I'm going to have some ice cream. He's like five years old. Rabbi Shimon Yochai says to him in the Gemara, they're going to feed you coals that never go out. For walking away from a Torah, for nothing. What, make, what makes uh, Amalek different from the other Canaanite nation? Am Amalek is not a Canaanite nation. Amalek is from Edom. Amalek is from Edom. It's a completely different nation. It's the arch enemy of the Torah. They're the nation that are against specifically the Torah. 
They went to war with us because they don't fear God. It's a different, completely different entity. But to finalize this point, and then you guys can ask any questions you want, there was two short stories, two fantastic stories to give us a perspective of what Yirat Shamaim really is. Where our goal is. I'm not saying today you leave the shiur, everybody has the Yirat Shamaim of Rablichem. But at the very least, let's stop being scared of everything else and focus all of our energy into a fear of Hashem. <coughs> stop being scared of the health, of the, of the financial situation, of the economy, of the stock market, of who's the next president, of who's the next uh, best uh, weapon salesman. Stop, stop being scared of that stuff. Be scared of Hashem. If you're already going to be scared, be scared of Hashem. And a couple of examples are in Williamsburg, years ago, there was a Tomit Chacham named Arab Ruven Kozovsky. He was a Yeshemayim Jew, and he was a moche on anyone that was Mechalel Shabbat. And there was one Rasha that not only was Mechalel Shabbat, but he opened his business on Shabbat. Now Williamsburg today is a very religious community. Back then, they were trying to build it still. So Rav Gozovsky went with a few other uh, a few other people to this guy's store on Shabbat. Say, come on, it's open on Shabbat, Jewish community, what are you doing? Don't care. So Rav Gozovsky went inside. And this Rasha grabbed Rav Gozovsky by the collar, picked him up, and threw him out of the store from his collar, and you know, laughed at his face in front of everybody. Within a matter of days, the wife of this Rasha came to the Bet Midrash crying hysterical. Why? Her son died in the U.S.-Korean War. U.S. was in a war at that time against Korea. Her son died, and her daughter went blind for no reason. Her daughter went blind for no reason. Meaning that when somebody that has Yirat Shemaim tells you, be afraid of Hashem, you should listen. But definitely don't just say, ah, no, forget it. Last but not least, Rabbi Israel Salant was once asked a question that many, many Chachamim had a difficulty with. It was a question about a certain Rambam. And within moments, Rabbi Israel Salant answered. He was an extraordinary genius. Not just a Musar genius, he was an extraordinary Torah genius. No less than a Musar. And within seconds, he was able to answer this huge sugya and everyone was amazed how quickly and how right exactly what he said and as soon as he saw their faces he fell down he passed out passed out they woke up the Rav what happened you, you answered the question it was this is exactly what we've been waiting for for years why is the Rav uh, upset he says no you don't understand the moment I gave the answer and I knew it was right I knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me special powers Special talents, special ability. And just like he gave me this extraordinary ability that many other great Chachamim did, he didn't give it to them. Obviously, I answered it, they didn't answer it. I had, great, I had to weigh myself against them, and I see if I have this ability, that means that my responsibility is also that much bigger than theirs. And when I realize my responsibility, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how much in debt I am to him, I got so scared, I passed out. 
This Rabotai Ekerim is Yirat Shamaim. That's the true treasure. That's the true treasure. Meaning Yirat Shamaim is not supposed to give you nightmares at night. It's not a scary movie, even though it's scary. Even though there's scary things. The ultimate goal of Yirat Shamaim is to get you to a point that you're so close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that you're scared of not fulfilling your responsibility. Now that all starts with the basic foundation of fear of loss. Fear of some type of punishment that you can see, that you can feel. And then you build from there. And Be'ezrat Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us the ability to have real Yirat Shamayim, so we then understand what our purpose in the world is, and also at that point, once we get to that point, we'll also be able to understand why Avraham Avinu only cried a little bit about Sarai Menu, because she's going to Gan Eden anyway. Did she, did she pass away on Pesach? She passed away on Pesach. I know that the... Uh, was, uh, so no, I, thought, I, don't, I don't know if it's on Pesach, but uh, I have to check. I thought that's with the small event, that she passed away on Pesach so that Avraham Avinu only mourned because of Cholom Oled for that one day. Oh, interesting. No, I never heard of it. Possible. Very possible. But no, Mefarshim Rashi says over there. Rashi says out there that the small half is because uh, he, uh, he cried only a little bit over her. Only a little bit over her because he knew that the ultimate, uh, ultimate uh, uh, reward that she's going to get is, uh, is, is extraordinary. Not because the Abraham sat for one day. Well, I mean, it could be for a short period of time. But in essence, the point is that to, to the small half is to say that he cried less than what people usually cry over over uh, their wife. Uh, as far as different reasons for it, after look, there's several different midrashim that talk that debate ultimate sure. reason, but it could be, could be. No, it's possible. Listen, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of mefarshim to talk about this uh, particular point, like any other point. But it's uh, there's a few times in the Torah where uh, the Torah specifically writes the letters differently, whether it's a small aleph or small chaf. Or the section in the Torah where there's two nuns opposing each other, they're facing different places. That's like the middle of the Torah. It's a different place in the Torah where you have to learn from the writing itself, from the letters, the shape of the letters themselves. That's why the Gemara says that when uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu showed Moshe Rabbeinu the future and he saw Rabbi Akiva, he saw that Rabbi Akiva was giving a shiul off of the and, and teaching halachot from the crowns of the letters, you know, the little little things that uh, go off the letters. And uh, which, again, you think about it, like, what laws can you possibly learn from the crowns of the letters? But that's the thing, and that's the genius of, of Rabbi Akiva and the Chachamim, is that you can learn from everything, including the shape of the letters. Including the shape of the letters. But this, again, is, is a, uh, after you know a lot of the, uh, the basics, you keep going up, and more and more, and you realize the Torah is an endless, endless ocean. But along the way, you learn these different uh, tidbits. You, uh, in the Yigmarai, Masechet Shabbat, it also tells us about why uh, the, uh, when we say the Aleph Bet, even the Aleph Bet, the way that the, Aleph, the, the, uh, the, the letters are shaped is based on their meaning of the actual letter itself. You know, like for example, the, uh, the uh, Gimel is, uh, looks like a person walking. Dalit is symbolizing Dalim, poor people. So the Gimel Dalit, meaning that the person that wants to do Chesed, is chasing after the person that's poor. You know, the guy that's uh, Dal is, is poor. So the Dalit is like somebody facing away, and the Gimel is like somebody, you know, walking. So the reason why the Gimel is right before the Dalit is because if you really want to be a Gomel Chasadim, like a Gimel, Gomel Chasadim, meaning somebody wants to do Chesed, you're going to run after people that need staka, that need help. 
And every letter is shaped a certain way for different reasons. The kuf has a line because the, uh, it uh, spells sheker. Sheker has only one leg, whereas emet, emet is the aleph, the mem, and the taf. Aleph is the beginning of the alphabet. Mem is the middle of the alphabet exactly. And taf is the end of the alphabet. And all three letters have a foundation, have two legs or a foundation. Why? Because emet has a foundation. Sheker, on the other hand, is shin kuf resh. All have a single point. They all stand on a single leg. Why? Because emet has a foundation, and it's always going to stay emet. Sheker lie only has one leg. It doesn't last. It's, uh, you can easily topple it over. So each one of the letters is shaped a certain way uh, in order to teach us a lesson. It's not like English or, or, or other languages where just somebody just created it for whatever reason. He decided that a circle means all. Fine, okay, good for you, it's all. It means zero also, it means all, it means a lot of things. Fine, also it's a good happy face. Put happy face, kids like it. You know, they decided that the O is the O. Fine, no problem. Hebrew, didn't, it wasn't like that. Hebrew, every single letter is shaped a certain way for a specific reason, and it's put in a specific place in the alphabet, needless to say, in the Torah itself. Every single letter is calculated and, uh, uh, and accounted for. And the more you learn these, uh, the details, the more you realize how divine the Torah is, how it's not even possible that any human being ever even messed up with it, did anything, like even, even messed up one thing. Everything is so perfect, it's impossible that anybody even messed up one small thing. And that's why, like for example, when you speak to somebody like myself, that I'm constantly talking to people, debating with certain people to try to help them get to Hashem, I know, I know their battle. But if you bring those same people to one of the Gdoleador that's 80, 90 years old, has been you know, glued to the Torah for the last 90 years, and you tell him, listen, this guy doesn't believe in God. He's going to look at him like, what do you mean? How? It's not that he doesn't understand. Uh, the, how could you not believe in God? It's so obvious. It's everywhere. How could you possibly get yourself to that point? How sick are you that you think everything came from nothing? And that's the thing. That's why I say it's important for a person to know that every single thing is accounted for in the Torah. And Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem for that. Yeah? Is this war Gog and Magog? I had a whole lecture about it uh, two weeks ago. Uh, is this the end or is this the beginning of the end? If it's the end, we don't know yet. Is it the beginning of the end? Certainly. Certainly it's the beginning of the end. Gog and Magog is not supposed to be uh, just a one-day thing. Gog and Magog is a, uh, it's like an episode of wars. It's multiple wars. It already started at World War I, meaning a hundred years ago. World War II was the second part. The Third World War is going to be a series of war, but the cl cl uh, climax of the ultimate war will be eight minutes. That's what the Gaomi Vilna says. But until you get to that final eight minutes, there's a series of wars. So it looks like for sure that it's a, uh, this is part of that. Uh, but is it the end? No, it's definitely not the end because the end is going to be much, much uglier than what we have. The, what we saw is... Uh, not even kindergarten, next to what uh, next to what uh, the end is going to be. It, it could get ugly. It's potential to get much worse. I mean, no, no, it will get ugly. It's just a matter of when. You know, the nevuah, the prophecy is at the end is that it's going to be uh, you know as ugly as we ever saw. I mean, two thirds of the world die. You know, if if you, see, you look at what happened when a few couple thousand people died, look how much agony we're all in, and how many people are praying, and how many things. I mean, imagine even if it's two thirds of the world that you don't even know. Even if it's not Jewish people, 
Imagine a disaster where two thirds of the world die. No one's going to ever live the same way. More, yeah. more, right. So, so the thing is that the last, last part of the uh, war is going to be uh, much, much worse than we could ever imagine. Uh, but the good news is, is that the last exile is not going to be like the first exile. Meaning, uh, the uh, way HaKadosh Baruch took us out of Egypt with miracles and wonders, there's going to be some similar things to that coming soon. Uh, but the difference is that while some people died in Egypt, some of the uh, Bnei Israel died in Egypt because they didn't want to do tshuva. Many of them died, actually. 80% of them died. Uh, that's not going to be the case at the end, meaning that anyone that is Shomer Torah and Mitzvot, anyone that's really glued to Hashem, doesn't have to worry about anything. That seems to be the message right now. A lot of the people that were killed in the South, a lot of them, many of them, were in the shoes that were not Shomer Right. No, most, most of them weren't. But, uh, but the, when the bigger things happen, it's going to be even big, more massive numbers. Uh, you know, as far as the... Uh, uh, the ultimate big war is going to be where uh, first it's going to be uh, a war between Edom and Ishmael, uh, meaning America, England versus all of the Arab countries, anyone part of Ishmael. They're going to beat up each other for a little while, but then they're going to stop and then they're all going to ambush Am Israel. They're all going to ambush Israel. And that's at, around that time, that's when Mashiach is going to come and destroy all of them. But it's going to be a... Uh, ugly time that uh, many of the sages in the Gemara were very, very scared of. When uh, the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, Perek Chedek, they ask uh, Rabbi Elizabeth ben Hokinos and some of the other Chachamim about the end of days, and uh, many of the Chachamim say, you know, I want it to happen, but I don't want to be alive when it does. Because they were so scared of the Hevle Mashiach, of the, uh, the suffering that's going to happen before Mashiach comes. The good news is, is that if you have the merit to do tshuva before that all happens, then you'll be okay. You'll be more than okay. Uh, but anyone that doesn't have uh, the merit to do tshuva, anyone that doesn't do tshuva, the, 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 uh, the suffering they're going to have is going to be immeasurable. It's going to be much worse than the Holocaust. You know, I mean, there are things that have, have existed much worse than the Holocaust already. But what's recorded on uh, modern day history is Holocaust. Either way, anyone that does tshuva now is going to put himself in a fantastic situation. Anyone who doesn't, clock is ticking. And that's why there's no more time to debate people and to argue with them. Oh, please keep, don't keep, please, maybe I'll convince you, maybe I'll show you proof. There's no more time for that. There's too many people out there that are already interested. You have to first help them. They're already in, they're already interested. They already want to be customers. You got to go focus on them. You can't spend a minute on people that want to debate you and want to argue and no, but look, the, the earth is flat and maybe this and maybe uh, you know the, uh, there's aliens running the world and they built the pyramids and all this mumble jumbo. There's no time for that. No time for people that want to debate, that want to argue. Don't want to believe, don't believe. Go. Shoot yourself. What do you want to believe? That you uh, came from dirt and you're going to go back to dirt? Chabud. Enjoy. Go to, uh, you know, uh, go, go see your grandfather that's in, a, in, a, uh, in my front yard. Whatever you want to do, you don't want to do it. Don't, don't, don't do it. There's no more time. There's no more time to debate people. Because right now there's more people that are interested. A lot more people are interested. A lot more people are curious. A lot of people want real answers. And it's not the time to sugarcoat things. You just got to tell people this is what it is. There's a reward. There's a punishment. 
There's a God that runs the world. He has rules. You follow them, you'll be in good shape. You don't follow them, you're terrible shape. The end. There's more details in there, but that's more or less all of it. Huh? Even if his family? Yeah. I tell my own family. If they don't do tshuva, they're going to Gehenom. My own family, I tell them. I tell them the details of Gehenom. And guess what happened? They all do tshuva. Why? Because you realize it's true. It's not. Listen, you want to be, you want to be a heretic, you want to be atheist, you want to be uh, somebody that uh, uh, doesn't believe in God, but how about go do what you, you know, go, I don't know, marry a door. Marry a frog for all I care. It doesn't make a difference to my life. I'm going to do what I have to do because there are plenty of pure people that want to know the truth and when you tell them the truth, they change. But you can't play 50-50. I believe in God, but I'm not going to follow the Torah. I believe in God, but I'm only going to follow part of the Torah. I believe in the Torah, but I don't really agree with the rabbis. None of that stuff anymore. This is what Torah says. Take it or leave it. Whatever you do, you'll be blessed. Whatever you don't do, you'll be punished. But not punished like your mom is uh, sending you to your room. Not punished like your wife doesn't want to talk to you. Not punished like your kids stole your credit card and spent all your money. No, no, no. Much, much worse punishment. And when more you details you give people, the more they realize it's real. And one of the things that this tragedy uh, uh, did for a lot of people is very similar to the Holocaust. What Avigdor Miller said that he himself heard from Rav Shmuel Levitz that the reason why Kadosh Baruch brought the Holocaust to the world and all the tragedies that took place there, I don't know if any of you have read books about the Holocaust, I've had some lectures about it, I've studied extensively about the topic, the things we saw a month ago are not new. They were actually, even though people say, oh, this is the worst thing we've ever seen, it's not true. What happened in the Holocaust is much worse. They used to, you know, there was a, uh, a certain section of the Nazis that they would take Jews and they would experiment on them while they're alive. Cut their legs, cut their uh, different body parts. I have pictures of this. I have books. There's books of this with, uh, with, with all of these pictures and all these uh, uh, documents and medical records and so on. Uh, one of the book, one of the most famous books was written by, by one of the court reporters, American court reporter. It wasn't a Jew. American court reporter that had to document all of this and she eventually made it into a book. And there's a bunch of other books. There was medical experimentations. One of the worst people on planet Earth was a person named Mengele. And he did medical experiments much, much worse than what these, uh, these uh, animals did over here. Because he did it while they were alive. Now, yeah, sure, they did horrible things here too. But the point is, is that this is nothing new. This is nothing new. So when a person says, listen... I have a, uh, I believe in God, I believe in the Torah, I believe in the, uh, uh, a lot of good things, but I don't agree with the rabbis. Just let them know, fine, you can do what you want, but you need to know there's going to be a price. What's the price? You see what happened over here a month ago? Chopped heads, chopped limbs, chopped this, chopped that, all the horrible things. Remember the Holocaust, that stuff? All that stuff, right? Horrible, right? Terrible. Well, it's going to be like that? No. Oh, okay, no, 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 I didn't finish. It's much worse. Much worse than that. And not for one minute. You see, that kid they killed, he didn't suffer much. They killed him, he died. He's in Ghana, probably a tzaddik, came back to this world, do a tikkun for a few months, now he's in Ghana. Could also be a rasha that had to do a tikkun, he had to die, he killed some murderer. You know, we don't know, point being is, 
if they killed somebody and he suffered for a short period of time and that's it. He's, the only people that are suffering now are the people that are left behind. His parents, his family members and so on. He himself, the body's not suffering anymore. But you see, a person that goes against Hashem, a person that goes against Hashem's messengers, his suffering doesn't end like that. It's much, much longer. There's no limitations in the next world like we have limitations in this world and this type of talk is scary but it works much more than listen if you do this you're going to be in Gan Eden with uh, remember, remember we talked about Gan Eden that whole shield we did about Gan Eden with, uh, with Sarai Menno that big shield we did for two and a half minutes about Gan Eden with Sarai Menno you're going to be like that no one's going to do tshuva for that oh you know if you go to Gan Eden you're going to see how a pig really looks like he has wings flies maybe even talks a little bit you're not gonna go, you're not gonna keep Shabbat because of that. The lion is even more beautiful. He also has wings. Everybody has wings. I want wings also, but I have to wait till they Point is, no one's gonna do Shabbat if you tell him about Gan Eden. We tell him, listen, Holocaust, massacre, horrible things. People do Shabbat. Why? No one wants the punishment. That's what works. That's what works. That's also what works in the law of the land. How do they get people to not drive like animals? They put violation. Yes, you, you drive over a certain speed limit, you get fined, you lose your license, you go to jail, da da da. The Mishnah Masechet Avot says, we pray for the governments, even of the nations. Because if it wasn't for them, people would eat each other. That's why I hate it when Jewish people go into different places, like America or England or all these different places, and they have all of these protests against the government. Listen. If you're like me and you have a shiur and you don't agree with somebody, you think he's a joker, you think he's a, he's a moron, no problem. But to go have a whole different campaign against the president of the United States or against the, uh, I don't know, prime minister of some country, are you retarded? Do you realize that it's literally a miracle you're still alive in a foreign country? The fact that you're even being allowed to live there is a miracle. All throughout the ages, they killed us in the streets. And you're complaining? No, we are equal citizens. You're never going to be equal citizens. There's no such thing as equal citizen. You could be the biggest billionaire in the world. If you're a Jew, you're never an equal citizen. There's no such thing as equal citizen. You're a citizen of a Kadosh Bahu's world. He decides whether you live or die. Not your money, not your connections, not your job, not anything else. You go bring your attention to yourself, say, oh, we're going to have a whole campaign against the president. And, what? Crazy. And this is what happened with the whole thing with the president, with the uh, Trump. So many Jews went against him. And so many Jews went, uh, ha were happy that, uh, that he didn't win when he went against, uh, against the guy. And now the guy is very likely to win. Now Trump is very likely to win. And he's already telling people now that he's not a fan of Israel. As soon as the terrorist attack happened, he was praising Hamas, saying, listen, they did a good job, they beat them. Instead of saying, oh, horrible, terrible, no. He's like, no, I'm, very, I'm, very, I'm very disappointed in, in, uh, in Israel and Netanyahu. Like he made the whole thing of how they didn't support him when he was with the whole uh, uh, fight against uh, Biden with the uh, election fraud that they did or didn't do it, whatever they did. They didn't support him and how Netanyahu wasn't uh, supportive of him. So now he's like an enemy of Israel. He's forgetting about that his daughter is a Jew and his grandson is a Jew and uh, his son-in-law is a Jew. He's forgetting about that. Why? Because a bunch of Jews decided they're going to make a big campaign against him. 
So now he became an enemy of the Jews. Whether that's going to change or not, only because there's Did he actually come and say what he said? Yeah, they make it up. About Hamas, uh, yeah, he said they beat us. They did, in essence, a, as far as militarily, they did a good job. He said that? Yeah. Listen, mil- technically they did. It's not, it's not, I could say it too. Anybody could say it. Militarily, if you are the enemy, they did a good job. What do you mean? They did a good job. Are they terrorists? Are they animals? Are they monsters? Absolutely. Do I pray for them to die a strange death? Every single day. But militarily, they won that day. They lost a big war. And of course, their whole, uh, their whole uh, piece of land that they uh, consider theirs is turning into a place of debris. But as far as that particular plan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu allowed it to work. He said no. He, like no, no. He said it in a way where, in essence, he is very disappointed in Israel, and uh, he uh, he's he's not feeling so sorry for them. In so many words, he's not feeling so sorry for them. Why? Because they didn't support him when he was fighting against Biden. There's a clip on it somewhere online, but the whole point is is that why did this all happen? Because instead of worrying about the president of the world, the king of the world, and what he thinks. We're spending too much time, to, you know, putting our opinion about presidents of countries and who and what and when. There's no need for that. The key is to understand that Hakadosh Baruch Hu runs the world. We have to follow His Torah. If we follow His Torah, Bezot Hashem will protect us. We don't follow His Torah, then the future is uh, is bleak. What else? Anything else? Questions? More scary topics? No. Go ahead. What if looking through like the like the media, even like. Consciously and consciously knowing that it's fake, but like looking at it and sharing it in, in the light of it being fake and saying like, let's say like the, the, the video of like Trump speaking and then Biden speaking so highly about the Jewish people and like mm. you go back six months and it was the exact opposite and like explaining how like that's like the not, not vocal in the world. Like if you use the media to show other Jewish people and to like shed the light on how fake it is, is that is that bad for you to watch? For that purpose, I mean to show people that it's all fake and uh, uh, don't rely on anyone. If your goal is to get people to you know, rely on Hashem, yeah, there's a certain value there. The problem is the guy that's making it has to review a lot of stuff, or the girl that's making it has to review a lot of stuff, meaning that he has to, number one, waste a lot of time, and number two, he has to, he, there's poison that comes with it. This is like, for example, someone that's a, uh, you know, right now we're developing, give you guys a little insight on a secret project we have. We're working on it for a long time. One of the projects we have is to develop a new uh, sensor, a new uh, uh, to, to to protect your phone, protect your phone, your internet, and so on. So all the pornography and the filth that's out there that's even not on pornography sites, like you know. So try to get you guys something that's going to protect, help people protect their eyes on their phones and their internet and so on. Now the problem with developing it is that somebody has to look at porn. Somebody has to look at immodesty. Somebody has to look at filth in order to know what to censor, in order to know what to block. And that's why it's very difficult. And that's also why whoever's involved either has to be a non-Jew, that's like some, some guy that's, uh, you know, no height, or it has to be an extraordinarily health, spiritually healthy person that learns to why every single day, knows exactly how much he needs to look at, meaning one second and look away, know exactly this is what it is. In so many words, a person that's at war for his own life and is doing it purely out of messy with nefesh. And it's very difficult. It's very difficult to do. So for something like that, there's a lot of value in it. 
because it can help a lot of people. And therefore, I continue to help people and will continue investing into this project and Bezat Hashem will succeed in getting this out there to people to help them and get them a cost-effective uh, system that is going to help them protect their eyes because really the ultimate protection of your eyes is Yilat Shemayim. It's watching this shiur a thousand times. That's what, the, that's what is going to help. But when you don't have time to watch the shiur and you need to go uh, on some site for your job or for, for some other reason, so you need help. So that's what we're developing it. But... For that, it's worth it. Why? Because it's going to help a lot of people. Whereas the other things, like what you're mentioning, like being one of these uh, 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 video people that is, uh, uh, people that are, you know, showing that it's a world of lies. He said this one day, he said that one day. If it's a non-Jew doing it, I'm all for it. If it's a Jew doing it, I, I don't think it's the greatest use of time simply because there is, uh, it, 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 could, it, could be, it could be done by other people and also, it's, there's just too much risk of falling into it and just spending uh, literally your whole day reviewing stuff for the next video because you have to come up with new stuff all the time. One video is not enough. Let's you have it, especially if you have a hit. You make a video, it gets, I don't know, 5, 10 million uh, uh, likes. What do you got to do? You can't be, you're not happy with just 5 million. Uh, you have to do another one. To get another one, especially that type of winner, you have to work double as hard to go find more material, and, which means you have to spend a lot of time a lot of time, and I don't think it's it's worth it because the people that are um, that are that need that help to know that it's uh, fake usually are not uh, are not really spending that much time looking for it to see it's fake. They already know to a certain extent that it's fake, and the people that are gonna spend a lot of their time watching the news are usually not gonna be affected by it anyway because they just like watching the news. They like watching you know everybody thinks they're a politician. You know they they have an opinion about what the president's doing and what this one's doing. You know, it's a, uh, so I think there's a, there's, a, there's a better way to use your time. There are some people that are doing good work uh, that are showing uh, stuff that's not like what you said, but rather like stuff that a lot of people don't realize is true. Like, for example, how there's this whole uh, uh, fake uh, you know, thing that there's happening in, with the Palestinians where fake dead people and they're actually making a whole movie. Uh, so there's a certain value to that. There's a certain value of actually recording some of their opinions. If somebody showed me a... Uh, uh, they went to the West Bank and they interviewed Palestinians. And they... Uh, just like, you know, somebody spoke uh, Arabic to them and somebody spoke English and they translated it. And they asked the Arab, you know, what do you think of the, uh, the fact that in Gaza they shoot missiles at Israel uh, from civilian uh, territory? Do you agree with it or not? You know, a simple question. None of them can answer the question in a normal way. They're all confused, like, oh, well, you know, maybe they're doing it because there's no place else to do it. Or uh, another person uh, said, uh, well, you know, they're defending themselves. Like, no, 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 they're not defending. Nobody attacked them. They just decided one day to go on top of the hospital and shoot a missile at Israel. Mm, well, we don't live there, so we don't understand. Like, it's a simple question. None of them could actually answer a normal question. And that's the thing, it's like you have to, you have to there's, a, there's a certain value to show that now. But you only need one video of that. You can't make a whole career of that. That's the problem. When you make these types of videos, it's the same thing with uh, when people ask me about whether I recommend that they use their uh, voice to become singers. You know, there's some very talented people that have good voice. Uh, and uh, they, they're asking me, should I, uh, should I become a singer? 
My answer is always no. And the reason why is because even though, you know, to hear a child sing is wonderful. It's literally the, the voice of kids is much better than most adults. And it's beautiful to hear, especially when they, you know, uh, sing words of Torah, you know, like Moti Steinemans and uh, the Yelet Pelet that was in our event, all these amazing uh, kids, it's amazing. But I would never ever recommend any of my kids or anybody that I know's kids to do the same thing. Why? Because the test of success in the music world is almost impossible to pass. Because the worst thing that could happen to you is succeeding. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. If you fail, you fail, okay, you tried for a few years, nobody invites you to any more than a bar mitzvah, you go back, you live a normal life. But if you succeed, and they start inviting you, each time, every night you have somebody inviting you, 100,000, 80,000 shekels, 100,000 shekels, 200,000 shekels, you could do that every single day. And guess what? That comes with, it's not, just, it's not just money that comes to you. It's all types of other things that come with money. And all of a sudden, there's problems. Problems that you never even knew existed. And that's why you see a lot of the times, the people that uh, start off in the religious world uh, uh, as, as singers, many times they, uh, they have serious marriage problems and life problems that, uh, uh, you know, you see, you see what happens. You see their marriages crumble, their life crumbles. They still have a good voice, but their life sucks. Chazan is fantastic. Chazan is the, yeah, it's, it's a, you have, if somebody has a good voice, that's what they're supposed to use their voice for. But uh, the Chazan is not getting paid 100,000 shekels for, uh, for one day. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but, uh, you know, there's some guys that, uh, you know, want to be rappers, which I think is the worst thing in the world for a Jew to do. I think it's completely ridiculous for a Jew to be a rapper. Uh, it's, 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 it's like me going to, uh, to, to Africa and, and, and wearing underwear and walking around. Yeah, I, you know, I want to be like you guys. Like it just it doesn't fit. You're a Jew. You're not supposed to rap. Even though you know how to rhyme and stuff like that. It's just not, it's not our culture. It's not our culture. It's the same thing with Jews playing sports. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. You know, you see a little Jewish guy, you know, trying to make it to the NBA. He's four foot three and he's trying to be in the NBA. Like, you're Jewish. They're like nine feet taller than you. The ball is almost as big as you. Okay, so you know how to dribble and somehow you got yourself to, to dunk the ball. It still doesn't mean you're going to be a basketball player. Yeah, but you know there was one Jewish guy that he became a... Okay, one. One. Do you know how many millions tried? For them and their culture, it's like every second kid is an NBA star. All right, go, go be a... I don't know, go be a doctor or something. Go be something else. Go be something that's... Uh, anyway, it's not a good profession. To be an athlete is the worst profession in the world. I know most people don't think though, but I know I used to deal with them as, as clients when I was on Wall Street. It's the worst profession in the world to be an athlete. Worst. Your career is very, very short and your life is miserable because from the second you get a contract, all of a sudden you acquire a hundred different friends that you never knew you had, 300 family members you never knew existed, and 500 advisors that convince you that you need them. And 99.9999% of all of them are scammers. Which means that by the time you finish your average five-year career, if you're in basketball, five, six years. If you're in football, three years. Baseball is a little longer, but more or less, it's less than 10 years. Like all of these superstars that you see that they're still playing after 20 years, those are anomalies. They're like, you know, going to the moon. If they even went there, 
Like that's that's what it is. It's not it's not it's not normal to go and play for twenty years in any sport. But the few, the most of them last only a few years. They make a bunch of money. There are a bunch of people steal it from them. A bunch of people spend it for them. I had one guy that I met. He said, "Listen, on my day, uh, I'm like, what'd you do on the day that you got a contract?" He said, "I bought five Range Rovers." I said, "But you're only one person." He said, "Yeah, but I bought one for myself, one for this one, one for that one, one for the five Range Rovers." On day one, he spent the signing bonus. I don't have to tell you that he declared bankruptcy shortly later. But that's what happens. After their career, two to three years, three to four years, four to five years, whatever it is, depending on the sport, within two years, 80% of them declare bankruptcy. And they go into a financial situation much worse than they had before they even started sports. And you can't, like, do it somewhere else. You know, even if you go, let's say, from the NFL, you go to the UFL or CFL, yeah, you're going from a place where they're paying you, you know, if you're terrible, you're on a, on, a, on, a, uh, on a bench squad, you're still making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. Whereas in the, uh, but if, you're, if you really have a real contract, you get five, 10, 20 million dollars a year. But in the, uh, in the UFL, the, 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 the number one paid person was $80,000. The guy working for UPS made more money than that. So that's the thing. The, 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 they don't know how to handle money. And uh, they end up ruining all of it. They get a bunch of money, they declare bankruptcy, and it become a very, very miserable life, short life. So that's why it, it looks glamorous. It's just like this world. It's a world of lies. It all looks glamorous. You're going to win a lot. You're going to make a lot. But in reality, it's all fake. It's all fake. And that's why it's a terrible thing to bring kids into that world of, of hoping to be an athlete, hoping to be uh, some type of, uh, you know... Uh, Hollywood uh, movie star or singer. It's a terrible, terrible uh, uh, path to go on because 100% he will fail. Even if he succeeds, the failure will just be bigger. Or she or whoever it is because it ends. Everybody's career ends. And it's not like a doctor that retires or a business owner that retires eventually and he could just simply live a normal life. When they retire, they live the rest of their life in misery because they, they're living the past. Oh, I used to run a 40 in a uh, 4-2. Now I can barely walk up the stairs. Oh, I used to catch the ball, and I used to do this, and I used to do that. And now nobody even looks at him. They just see a really, really tall person. He's also very connected to Roman Greece, right? Sure, the whole Roman uh, mentality and, and, and Greek mentality is certainly uh, good. There was actually a guy here in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Israel that uh, he's a religious guy. But for some reason, the Satan convinced them that it's a good idea to bring football to Israel. And he contacted me and asked me if I want to support it. And uh, I told him, why would I support Greece or, or Rome? I mean, I don't understand why you're bringing this to Israel. You want to play football? Go to America. Why bring it to Israel? And he's bringing it to Stavka, to the religious community. And he's like, oh, I'm helping kids. What are you helping them with? Become Greek? How, how is it? I don't know. And again, I, I understand... His intention is good, but the way is not. You know, the way is not. And it's, a, uh, it's, it's because most people think that, oh, don't worry, it's just fun for them. It's, uh, it's going to get them out of trouble. And, uh, you know, it's not like they're going to the NFL. Okay, but you know, that kid's mind is, what if I do? What if I do go to the NFL? What if I do go to the Major League Baseball? What if I do go to the NHL? What if I do make it to the UFC and become an ultimate fighter? What if I do? 
in his mind, he's not doing it because he thinks he's going to be a loser, he's just going to play for a few years and stop. He's thinking there's a chance. There's a chance I may be the best. And guess what? He's, if he fails, that's the best thing that can happen to him. But if he succeeds, it's the worst thing that can happen to him. Because then he's going to continue living that lie to the power of a thousand with everything that comes with it. And they, it's... it's the Mishnah in Avot says, who is why someone that sees what's going to be born. Because I dealt with these people in my life. Because I played sport myself also. It wasn't anything fantastic, but uh, I, uh, I'm the Jewish guy, the small guy. The, the, uh, and everybody was really, really big. But the point is, is that because I know a little bit about it, and uh, I know that it's, it's a horrible, horrible path. And that's why the, one of the things I hate the most is seeing young Jewish kids play basketball. I think it's the, it's, it's, it's the most absurd thing in the world. They could play for exercise, for so on, but when they take it really seriously, like argue over it, and they actually go play on teams, and they travel to place to place, I think it's the worst thing in the world you can do. It's a complete waste of time. Aside from wasting time, it's a waste of your dreams. It's a waste of your dreams. There's, you, know, you don't have that much room in your mind for different dreams. If your dream is to be this NBA star, you're wasting your life. Yeah. Because it gets them into college if they are, you know, very, very tall, very, very athletic, and usually they come from a very, very poor neighborhood. If they're Jewish, they would get into that college regardless because usually their parents can pay for it or they're smart enough to get a scholarship otherwise. Right. So, I mean, it's... it's but as far, as, far, as far as the... Uh, the in, in the States, you don't have to necessarily... College, college is not really a place for most uh, for Jewish kids anymore. Sure, no, for for going, it's a different story. They have a different path in life. But right now, colleges in America have become no less dangerous than the border of Gaza. Yeah, no, the, the colleges. Why you? Why you is uh, another college that could easily uh, distort your mind to a place that's not to what. Uh, they are very modern to the point where they're willing to change the Torah for it. So it's a... Uh, don't get me wrong. There are some people there that are very, very smart. They're forced to take gay people now. Can. No. Well, that's because the, in, the, in the court hearing they had, uh, the government declared YU as not a religious organization. And that's why they were forced to take on the homosexuals into their school and have a fraternity for them and have a section for them and so on because their argument their argument was that we're a religious organization and the government declared them not a religious organization so when the goyim say you're not a religious organization that already gives enough of us to know okay if they if they think you're not religious there's something wrong you know but in general it's why you has had a lot of problems because of all the modernizing They've modernized and modernized, and every year they're modernizing a little bit more. Uh, the fact that they, uh, they have, uh, the, way, the way they teach you know, boys, there's girls, there's, a, uh, there's even non-Jews uh, there. You don't have to be Jewish to be there. You can be non-Jewish. No, there is. There's plenty of non-Jews that go to YU. Plenty of them. You know, it's like Chabad. Chabad has schools, and, and more than 60-70% of some of their schools are not Jewish. Like, uh, they brought like famous, famous like TikTokers okay. to, to, to the girls to stir, and the girls are like are basically naked all day long, and they have like a forced class where like all the girls have to go like listen to like 
social media classes like these girls that. So that's the thing. So when you modernize to the point of changing, uh, it's the Chazonish says the last Mishnah in um, in the Neshas uh, of Mishnayot Masechet Uktzin. The last Mishnah says Chadash Asur Min Torah. Uh, but it's talking about something else. But the Chazonish said, he said, Chadash Asumin Torah, meaning anything that's new and you apply it to the Torah is not allowed. Why? Our Masoret, we know exactly what our Torah is. We don't need to change anything. We don't need to modernize anything. We don't have to have a new way of doing things. The same exact thing has been working pretty well for the last 3,000 years. Keep it the same. You bring something new, for sure it's Asu. For sure it's, there's a problem with it. And that's the problem. They, 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 I understand that some of the people that are bringing these so-called new things think that they're doing well, they have good intentions even, but G'dolei Yisrael, we're not a part of it. G'dolei Yisrael, we're not, uh, we're not fans of any of this stuff, and uh, even though some people say, yeah, but if we don't do it, then the kids are going to go somewhere else to do it. Let them go somewhere else to do it. Let them go somewhere else to do it. It's... It's, I had a shiur here on Shabbat, uh, and uh, the only bad part about the shiur is that I couldn't record it. But the shiur was, you know, a bunch of avrechim, a bunch of uh, people that are religious. Some people work, some people avrechim. But, you know, right now we're trying to get everybody to realize that it's time to do kiruv, it's time to, do, to help people, and so on. And the biggest problem that the religious people have is that they don't understand the non-religious mentality. They either think that the non-religious people can't handle anything. So if you tell them the truth, they'll run away. Oh, if I tell them that uh, there's punishment, if they drive on Shabbat, they'll run away. Why? Why will they run away? Like, they like it, they don't like it. It doesn't matter, you tell them. Don't decide for them. Don't decide for what people can handle or what people can't handle. You can handle it. They can't do it. There is Jewish just like you. Hashem created Jews, Hashem created them. And that's the problem. People have this whole, uh, they do a lot of, a lot of analysis in their mind of what people can handle, what people can say. Just the same exact thing we've been saying for 3,000 years. Say the same exact thing. Let people decide for themselves. Let them decide for themselves. He likes it, good. Doesn't like it, no good. Oh yeah, but what if he leaves? Leave. And one of the things, that, the reason I said this story is because one of the examples I gave them is that there was a guy that uh, had a brit milah, uh, was having a brit milah, a kid, and he wanted to do a brit milah, and he wanted to have the sandak be his friend, his best friend. Who was his best friend? He was a uh, priest. And he wanted the priest to be a sandak. So on the day of the brit milah, he comes, and the priest comes, and everybody comes, and the rabbi says, oh, what's going on here? He goes, that's my sandak. He goes, no, 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 what, what, what are you talking about sandak? We're not going to have this guy's sandak. I'm not going to do Brit Milah. What? What are you talking about? If you don't do it, you're embarrassing my friend, I'm going to go to Christianity. So the rabbi got worried. Ooh, Jew going to Christianity, Abu Zarah, what are I going to do? So I have to go to Gdolado. He goes, wait, hold on a second. Let me go to my, let me get my rabbi. Who's the rabbi? Rabbi Yisraeli Salant. <laughs> he goes to Rabbi Yisraeli Salant, he happens to be close by. He goes to Rabbi Yisraeli Salant. He says, for the Rav, I have a situation here. I have to be a Moel, do Brit Milah. But the guy wants the Sandak to be a Pope, to be a priest. Or else he's going to become Christian. Without skipping a beat, Rabbi Yisraeli Salant says to him, 
tell him, I said, go you and your kids and your family and the Pope to the same church. Doesn't make a difference to us. We're never going to change our Torah for any of you. For any of you. Our Torah doesn't change. He told the guy, the guy was in shock. That's the response. And then he realized, wow, you're right. The rabbi will be a sadak. The rabbi will be a sadak. He realized, why? If you're willing to change the truth, then it's not really the truth. And what happened? The world, a secular person, sees the world, and the world around them is constantly trying to change itself in order to appeal to him. He wants to go buy a car? The car manufacturer is willing to change everything about the car just so he can buy it. We'll change the letters, sir. We'll change the wheels. We'll put some rims on it. The, the car will feel like it's flying. We'll have an antenna over here. But if you don't like the antenna, we'll have it somewhere there. We'll, we'll have one seat, two seats. Whatever you want, we'll customize it for you. He goes to the store. He wants to buy some clothes. Sir, any clothes you want? No, no, but I want this in a different color. Depends how much money you have. We can make the same thing for you in any color you want. We can make it in skin of animals. We can put uh, some rhinoceros. Cut them up in front of you and make it into clothes if you want. Whatever you want. Just bottom line is pay us. The whole world is willing to customize itself for people. People are willing to change themselves. Oh, I'll wear this for you. I'll wear that for you. I'll get this job for you. I'll get that job for you. People are willing to change constantly. Why? Just to appeal to you. So that's why in the secular world, they don't believe anything. Why? Because they know it's all a lie. It's all, it's all subject to change. Everything is subject to change. This is the best car until something changes. This is the best girl until something changes. This is the best job until something changes. Everything can change. So if you, in the world of Torah, come to them and say, this is the best Torah. It's the best religion. Okay, so let me change it. If you say, you know what? Yeah, we can change it for you. We can make Shabbat 20 hours instead of 25. We can make it, you know what, even one hour for you. Because Hashem is so happy that you kept Shabbat, He's even going to be happy with one hour. Like some people think, oh yeah, no, I kept Shabbat, uh, you know, the, uh, one, sh one Shabbat a year. One Shabbat a year, 51 uh, weeks a year, you're in Gainom. One Shabbat a year, there's no fire. What is this one Shabbat a year nonsense? Oh no, no, I'm going to keep Shabbat for a few hours. Okay, so you'll be in Gainom for even longer. It's nonsense. Why? The second you tell people that we're the best, but yet we're willing to change and customize the Torah for him, how are we the best? How are we the best? We're like everybody else. But the moment you tell people, listen, this is the Torah, it's not going to change, not for you, not for your kids, not for your wife, not for your bankroll, not for your anything. It's never going to change. You don't like it? Too bad. Oh, I'm going to go to Christianity. Go to Chavot. You know what? I'll take you there. I'll give you a ride. I'll give you a ride, Habibi. I'll give you a ride. Get there faster. Get there faster. No, come on. You're making them far away. What making them far away? I'm showing them that the Torah doesn't change. What far away? What far away? How's that far away? You changing the Torah is making them far away. Why the second you tell them the Torah changes? It's not Torah anymore. It's everything else. And then he's going to start picking whatever he wants. You know what? I'm going to do this mitzvah, but on Tuesday. I'm going to keep Shabbat, but on Wednesday. Why? Because I have off of work. I'm going to give tzedakah, but uh, I'm going to give it to the church. <laughs> like some very famous Jewish woman did. 
very famous Jewish woman from Europe, after the church burned down, the same church that burned 12,000 uh, books of Gemara a few hundred years ago, that church burned down, Hashem, a few years ago, one of the wealthiest Jewish women in the world decided to take $100 million and donate to the church. The gandom she's going to get will never end. Not just from the donation, but from the Chilul Hashem. So, but her, she thinks she did a mitzvah. Oh, look, the Jews look good now in front of the goyim. We, we look good because we gave tzedakah. That's a person that thinks you can pick and choose which mitzvah. I gave tzedakah. To who? The church? That's not tzedakah. Or it's like if you guys uh, go to the, um, to the uh, zoo here. There's a beautiful zoo here. We came here last year and went to the zoo with the kids. There's the uh, 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 zoo based on Noach. It's beautiful. The biblical zoo. Beautiful zoo. Now, but on every single cage, you see a little sign. And it says somebody's name. It says, Leilui Nishmat. Such and such for donating the gate for the elephant. To elevate the soul of this dead person because he donated the gate for the elephant. Or he donated the water for the penguins. Or he donated the crackers for the, I don't know, whatever. Like, you think that's going to elevate their neshama? You think that's daka? You know what kind of punishment they're getting because of your tzaka? But that's the thing. If that person that gave that $400,000 for the gate would have known that the Torah doesn't change, guess what? There wouldn't have been a gate. Probably wouldn't have been an elephant either. But there would be a lot more Jews in the world that are keeping Torah mitzvot. So that's why people need to understand. The Torah is most effective when you don't change it. When you tell people 100% of the truth of what happened to the generation of Noah and what happened to Korach and what has happened to anybody else that's the enemy of Am Yisrael. And that way people know how to evaluate things but also they have one thing in the world that doesn't change. Everything else changes. The fashion changes, the cars change, the jobs change, the marriages change, the kids change, our bodies change, everything changes. But if the Torah doesn't change, that's what I want. Why? That's the one real thing that's in the world. Everything else is fake. Be'ezot Hashem, we're all going to succeed in getting closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu with the one and only true Torah. And Be'ezot Hashem, get other people to do the same thing so we can get Am Yisrael to really benefit when the Pasuk is uh, recited in Shemaim. And the, the Redeemer is coming to, uh, to redeem, to save all of those people that used to be criminals but have now done tshuva. Be'ezot Hashem, this will be very, very soon. Call to Bachabat Sakhaim. Bezat Hashem will probably have some more shooting very soon.